evening everyone and welcome to the podcast. Tonight we're going to do a plot drift about Tony Stark and Tony Dinozo. Or alternatively we're going to do a plot drift called Jilly James Spike Plots. A whole <laughs> bunch of Tony Dinozo st- um, Tony Stark stories. Right. <laughs> I told the chat room before we started recording, and I'll repeat, is that an interesting thing is I was trying to think of the other night alternate pairings for Dinoza, for my unicorn. Not that they're both not my unicorn, but, you know, there's a primary unicorn, and then there's just other unicorns. And um, I was trying to think of other pairings. I was like, you know, my, my one of my, I have like three favorite, three or four favorite pairings for him. And one of them is definitely, I really like rooting him with Tony Stark. And so I was, um, somebody had mentioned, asked me if I was going to write another, you know, are you going to do that Tony, Tony thing again? Are you going to do that again? And it, it was just the tone of it was sort of, you know, judgmental, like, Oh, are you doing that again? And I thought about it. And it's like within, if you're staying in your fandom lane, whatever your the big OTP is for your fandom, whether it's Mick Shep or Tony Gibbs or whatever, no one thinks anything about you writing 60, 70 stories with the same pairing. They don't think anything about it. But for some reason, I really took it to heart. Like, oh, I'm being unoriginal to keep doing Tony Squared, which is how I think of that pairing. Um, I'm being unoriginal to do Tony Squared, uh, you know, again. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Why should I care? This is my shit. I'll do what I want. That's what I want. I'm going to inundate you with with it. Fuck that. And so rather than flailing about with pairings that I don't think actually work all that well. um, I mean, people gave me some good suggestions. I'm not saying they didn't. But sometimes a pairing, to to make that happen, would feel really forced to me. Um, So, yeah. So when we talked about plotting, I thought, yeah, let's, let's, let's spite plot. A spike plot. So, for the sake of, <clears throat> I'm an excellent partner for these shenanigans because I once spot spike plotted a hundred k of female McKayfic. <laughs> Kira is the best spike pop spike plot partner. <laughs> really <laughs> say hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> I really love. Um, I really loved. Stick around. It was one of my favorite stories of my sentinel stories ever and demons is probably one of my it's probably one of my top three of my own works um i mean when i i stick around blew my mind i was like what look at what look what you did (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it just i really just i really had visualized that whole arc for them and i had to split it because i you know i could only write 25k for for the you know it was a it was a july challenge so it was a 25k story and so i thought well i'll write them getting together and then i'm going to write them becoming really becoming a couple as you know and the full the full realization of their relationship as a sequel and um so yeah so i really like the dynamic between them so the sanity for sanity's sake i'm probably for the sake of this plot i don't know whenever i go into one of these stories, I have to pick a name. I have to pick a name because I can, it can't both be Tony. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> I can't do it. So <laughs> I could do the last name thing, but the thing is, for the sake of any plotting in in a story, I have to come up with. I have to fix the name thing because lovers don't refer to themselves consistently by their last name. 
They just don't. I mean, it, it's awkward. Um, so that's why I always try to work up the name thing. Dom is an easy, he's an easy one for me to go to because that's my canon is his middle name. So all I need to have is a reason for him to go by his middle name. Um, and then the other... And it's really easy to do because, t- you know, Tony Senior is a dick and he stole Tony's money that time. <laughs> right. So it's pretty easy to get to him not wanting to go by, especially with that whole... There, there's canon stuff that makes that really easy. Like Kira said, there's the whole money theft thing. There's the whole, the real Tony Donozo thing, which is so smarmy and gross. Like every time he meets one of his son's friends, he implies his son is a knockoff of the real thing. So there's all these canon elements that make it really easy for to dump his name. And there's some middle names that are easier for me to get behind. I can't see him as a David. It's got to be a D name. I can't see him as David. Um, I like Dominic. Dominic. Dominic, because I think Dom is a short form of Dominic. I think it works. It's an easy name for me to deal with. I've seen him as have Dante as a middle name, which I think is kind of on brand for the Italian thing, but... I can't see him being called Dante. It just no. Like mm, <laughs> no. Honestly, if that was his name, he would go by it because that's a Tony thing to do, right? <laughs> I just can't. Call if my his kid. name was Dante, like for real, legit, that's what he would go by. Because what man doesn't <laughs> want to be able to introduce himself to hot women is Dante, <laughs> or to, as Dark pointed out, to Lucifer. <laughs> Um, but for the sake of all of our sanities, Stark will be Tony. And for the purposes of this discussion, and I'm just going to refer to Denoso as Dom because it's just the Tony Tony thing. It's a brain breaker. It's the only reason, honestly, I think I stayed away from that pairing longer than I would have because I had to work out the name thing. I was like, I can't have two characters called Tony. You can't, it doesn't work. I mean, it actually happens in real life. <laughs> there are two people. I knew a man and a woman married. Their both name was Lee. And they both went by Lee. It's less confusing in person than it is on the page. <laughs> so it would honestly be less confusing for a man and a woman because you could spell them differently. Yeah, and L E E versus L E I G H, and that's how they spell their names. So, um, yeah, and yeah, in real life, people rarely call each other by their names. You know, that actually is an artifact of of people do it way too much. They also yeah, use- I, you know. Susan's right. We don't often use names in, you know, facetious or sarcastic. Yeah, or I mean, when you're, usually when you're using the names, way to get like, my husband his full name to come out of my mouth is he does something stupid, and I'm like, <laughs> emphasis, his whole name comes out. So he knows specifically that I'm talking to him. I mean, I gave Kira a middle name the house. other day so that I could call her by it. <laughs> yeah, she did give me a middle name. M- Marie. My, yeah. my middle name is Marie. Yeah. I said, Kira Marie Marcos. <laughs> she just <laughs> laughed and then went, Marie. I'm like, I needed something to call you. It lacked dramatic effect without it. <laughs> so now I have a middle name. There you go. Marie. <laughs> yes, Margaret Ann, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony and Dom. No, I think we would have to give you a different one. It would be like Dark Chaos Serafina. 
<laughs> oh no, she's a total dark murder muffin, Serafina. <laughs> yeah, we'll just call Margaret Mac. I, I'm down for that. Yo, Mac. <laughs> okay, so Tony and Dom. I have an idea. Shit, hit me. What about at, um, during the events of Iron Man 2? Is that the stupid Mandarin one? Or is that three? Uh, the, the Mandarin is three. Okay. It, during the events of Iron Man 3, um, when Happy is hurt, mm-hmm. he um, has a contingency plan that if he's hurt and Tony needs um, head of security in his absence, um, that Jarvis is to call from a list of names. And the first name on that list is Dominic Denozo. Oh, I'm not mad at that. So Dom knows, Tony knows, I mean, Dom knows, uh, Happy, Happy knows Dom. And so, um, Dom shows up and he's on the spot and doesn't let Tony go off the rails. Doesn't let Tony address the public, um, reveal his address, pick a fight. Because he does that in response to Happy being hurt, right? I only watched that one, that one once. Um, so yeah, I mean, like maybe even Dom is currently living in California, so he's like on the spot. Like, look, you know, happy saved my life, and he's asked this of me, so you're gonna have to buck up, Stark, and shut your mouth. You're gonna have to behave. He could, and he'd be all up in his face. Like, I don't care how much money you have. Sit down. <laughs> you, I'm your bodyguard, and you are not. <laughs> Gonna go sit in a donut and talk to the press. Don't yeah, yeah, don't make this worse. So how do Happy and Tony and Dom know each other? Um Happy was a Marine. Yeah. Shadow and I had a drift. We drifted. <laughs> Happy was in the Marines and him and uh, Tony cross paths and maybe Tony got him out of a jam or maybe he, uh, maybe he was in the Navy and maybe they met during um, uh, Agent Afloat. Works. Works well time. Maybe he saved, maybe something happened and he saved Tony's life or something or the vice versa or, or just, they just became friends or, or what maybe, maybe happy was an MP. I wish, I wish Lady Holder was here. Do they have, Surely they do. They have what? Do they have military police on ships, stationed on ships? They have something. I know it's called. Um, I had to look this up for emergencies. I don't think it's not called the MPs. It's called something else. Um, okay, Ellie's saying SP, shore patrol. So, like, maybe Happy's one of those on a ship and. The, the Seahawk and Tony comes on board as the um, um, agent afloat and they work together, become really good friends. Happy leaves. Master at arms are the military police of the Navy. So, and then he leaves the Navy and keeps in contact with Tony, Dom, um, or Tony at the time. And then he, he changes him. He starts going by Dom when he leaves in CIS. I like it. It could be that Tony is second in command at Stark. We only ever see Happy anyway. So it's like 
it's entirely feasible that Dom is the second in command at um, Stark Industries for security. And it could be. I mean, it, it's not it's not remotely implausible that he and Tony would never have met. If if Happy hires those people, and if Dom has a different assignment, it's possible that Tony and Dom have never met each other. Yeah, at that time, I think that Stark Tower was probably under construction in New York. So Tony could actually, Dom, could actually be in New York um, overseeing security there. Because there would be a lot of security in the building of Stark Tower. Because they wouldn't want somebody to come in during construction and add espionage tools to the construction. That's going to be Jarvis's new home. There would be a lot of um, uh, technical infrastructure that would be going in. So I imagine he would have his second in command um, as far as security goes on site at Stark Tower to make sure or adding things to it or trying to build in um, ways to get to Jarvis or to Tony or to override security in the building or even just to spy. They want them building in listening devices into the damn support pillars yeah um so that would there would be a lot of security on site for stark tower during the construction so maybe he's there happy um is hurt and tony dom gets on a plane yeah happy hires tony away from ncis and tony says i'll come on board under the name dominic denozo um and um help me do that and Happy's like hell yeah i'll help you do that what if they met like on the Seahawk or on the Ronald Reagan, whichever. And what if Happy was like on his way out? He was on his last tour. He was about done with the Navy. And someone framed him for something. And Dom doesn't take it at face value what's going on. And he digs in and he proves that Happy wasn't um, responsible for whatever crime he was accused of that would have like got him a dishonorable discharge or maybe landed him in jail. Um, and so they become, maybe they become friends during the last month or whatever. And they talk or whatever. Cause I imagine being, you know, cause like in agent afloat, we see that Tony, you, you kind of infer that Tony's um, feeling very alienated. You know, he's with 5,000 people who see him as, as the, the cop on the city, which which means, you know, he's going to be hard for him to get close to people. So if the only person he's close to on the whole ship winds up being happy. And then when happy lands the job with Tony, he, you know, when he finds out that, you know, he calls Dom and says, let's get you off the ship. You're not happy at NCIS. You aren't happy. They sent you to that ship. I know you're not. Cause maybe they talked about it. He says, so come work for me. I've got carte blanche to set up a security team for, a new security team for Stark Industries. So come work for me. <laughs> and Tony wouldn't have a reason to say no. No. So you could either work at that Dom and Tony know each other, or you could do it that they don't. Because it's, you know, it's not like he would have met everybody who works for his company. That's just ridiculous. Either or, you know, I mean, I mean, there's something really interesting about having um, this person that Tony doesn't know in his space, um, taking up Happy's place and getting in his face and not being um, susceptible to his charm and not being willing to let him have his way. Because at this point, Pepper doesn't have a lot of um, 
influence on what Tony does. If she had, he would not have had that press conference where he dared that asshole to come to his house. Well, I think we saw, well, I think we saw the worst of their interactions in three, but maybe that was actually in two. They weren't together, though, yet in two. It was amazing with the way she acted in two that they got together. Right? But I imagine that Jarvis does know him pretty well, probably. He probably handles a lot of the communication um, for security. And if Tony's in New York with Stark Tower, then he probably knows um, a lot about Dom um, and a lot about uh, what is happening with Stark Tower. Uh, um, it's just threw me off in the chat. I don't even know. Um, and <laughs> so he would be, you know, like uh, when this goes down, Jarvis could have Dom like on the spot as Tony's coming out of the hospital, visiting Happy, saying, "You know, you know, sir, your um, your new um, the temporary head of security is um downstairs, the second in command, um, Dom Genozo, um, is here. He's ready to take over. Um, he has a plan to get you out of the hospital to avoid the press. Da, 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 da. You know, and then it just you know, and Tony goes along with it because it's Jarvis." Oh, did you mean Dom from Fast and Furious? So I was like, well, what does she mean the wrong Dom? <laughs> what conversation are we having? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we're using Dom to avoid confusion over the whole name. Tony. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that. And then... Um, and the thing is, Dom is not going to be impressed by... He's not. He's going to see through. And he's not going to be intimidated by... Tony, Tony's the front, the what he, the the persona he uses to push people away. You know the billionaire playboy thing. <laughs> you can't fire me. I work for Happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But I don't think honestly that Tony would be the problem. I mean, Dom would be the problem, um, and or, or that Tony Stark would be the problem either. I think Pepper would be the problem. Yeah, probably. I think Pepper um, does a lot of management with Happy. Um, and because Happy has feelings for Pepper, he doesn't... He often lets her get away with things that I don't think she should get away with. Like, for instance, when she brings Natasha, Natasha Lee um, into Tony Stark's space, she just, just brings this girl from accounting or whatever, where legal... Yeah. Um, into Tony Stark's house. Are you serious? Yeah, her personality change in two was weird. I mean, it was like he's like, I'm gonna give you my company, and all of a sudden she was just it was like she started treating him like an instant toddler. It was like mm -hmm. and although I say give you my company in, in terms of give you the reins of the company, it's very weird to read a story where the where the author has interpreted those events of her becoming CEO as meaning that Tony gave away his company. Yeah, she didn't own it. <laughs> Probably technically legally cannot own it, even if she married him. Depending on how the stock was set up and how the ownership trust was set up and what Howard Stark set up as well. Um, yeah, there could have been conditions on Tony's inheritance that he, you know, can't, he probably could only give away a certain amount of the company. And I mean, Howard Stark's that kind of guy, right? He's just not going to give it away. 
But he would also probably be very invested in Tony having a child. Yeah. So there would be probably some things in that as well. Make sure the Stark legacy continued on. But the, um, I mean, she took the reins and it's like she had a complete personality shift and she started immediately treating him. And not just, I mean, she was care- taking care of him in a lot of ways, right? And I think she saw him as being childish up to that point. But then at that point was when she started treating him like an actual child. It was so just bad I, writing. you know, I mean, CEO and girlfriend, neither one of those were bringing somebody into Tony Stark's environment that obviously, obviously had not had a full background check. Right. I mean, honestly, um, when it comes to like, Tony Stark's potential and his money. Um, somebody coming into his personal space, into his home, the security check should have probably involved a conversation with the person who gave birth to her. Mm-hmm. And maybe a pelvic exam. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you gave birth to her? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, that, that's that the could... point. Is that she did not obviously have any kind of in-depth ba- background check. Because if she had, I don't think it would have held up. Yeah. And that could be an interesting ripple that, like, maybe um, Jarvis is talking to Dom about some of this stuff. You know, because if Jar- Jarvis knows who Dom is. And I just think that Dom's the kind of guy who's going to treat Jarvis like an actual person. So anytime he's had to interact with Jarvis, he's probably been friendly. How are you doing? And I imagine somebody asking Jarvis, how are you doing, would be a very novel for him. And it really isn't that big a deal, that simple act of how are you doing? How have things been? Is simple courtesy would probably throw him because I see canon, everybody treats Jarvis like a machine, except for Tony. She couldn't have been there very long. She couldn't, Natasha could not have been at Stark Industries very long. And honestly, it looks like in that scene that Pepper went around and found the most attractive redhead she could find that worked for Stark Industries to bring to the house to distract Tony. Yeah, it was weird. It's like she brought a substitute for herself. It was crazy cakes. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, I think that T- Dom having a really good relationship with Jarvis could end up saving Jarvis. Because I don't think Jar- that Happy and has that relationship. Um, it's not demonstrated. But if, it, and if Dom is talking to Jarvis a lot and Jarvis mentions how S.H.I.E.L.D. cut him off that one time and it really upset him. You know, he might be like, okay, well, let's let let's figure out your security. Let's figure out how to make you safe, and we'll have a talk with Tony about why you're not safe, and 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 how to make that possible. And let's talk about your backup situation. Who you knows know, where that is, and is it secured, and is there a? Do you have automated backups? Do you have a physical backup that takes place and that is placed offline, which would have saved Jarvis. Mm-hmm. Even if it was a month old, it would have saved Jarvis. Right, because it, with the whole situation with Ultron, if he had backup protocols, Ultron was advanced enough to have been able to figure out what those backup protocols were, follow them, and if it was in a cloud-type situation, totally purge them mm-hmm. if he really wanted to destroy Jarvis. So, you know, when you want something to be totally safe, even if you're backing up over the internet, you know, you have a situation where, like, 
and somebody like Tony could afford something like this is, you know, the server is powered on for like one hour a week or one hour a month. And it's it, during that time that Jarvis performs his backup and then it's unplugged. And the person in the data center doesn't have any idea why they do this. They just do it. Well, but even a physical backup farm server, unless it had no connection to the internet, would have still been vulnerable. It have been vulnerable to destruction. Um, so they need one that comes online and then gets taken offline immediately after it's no longer in use that way. And it's one that probably that Jarvis himself cannot activate because that would leave him vulnerable to um, Ultron. Right. It has to be a case of where like probably they, Jarvis doesn't even know where the server actually is. He just does the thing and he goes to the protocol, sends his backup off and whoever is paid to do this doesn't know what he's, being paid to take on and offline is just happening. There's no power to this server at dear, you know, except for this one hour a month or whatever. I have an idea. I, I, I have an idea. Hit me. Topic. Oh, it's not, well, it's not off topic, but it's, it's about Jarvis. What about during, what about, what if Jarvis kind of has an online life? Like, you know, like kind of like we do. Where he has like, you know, he participates in, you know, conversations. Maybe he games. Maybe, you know, maybe he just has a, so this, this whole life online that Tony doesn't know about. And when Ultron attacks him, he spreads himself out over his friends' computers. That's interesting. And he hides. He hides in the average man's computer. Like all over the world. And then he starts talking to one user in particular. Maybe it's that kid from Iron Man 3. Harley? Harley Keener. Harley? Uh -huh. Harley? Uh -huh. or, or Peter Parker. Peter Parker might be a better one. Um, and he he tells him, you know, this is, this is what's going on. You've got this part of me. I need you to help me give the other parts back. His friends um, come together and they have a campaign to find all Darvis' parts and put them back together. That's and Tony's so like, wait, you have all my friends? Wait, you have more friends than I do. <laughs> like, well, you gave me permission to do these things. No, 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 that's fine. I I, I told you to spread your wings, Jay. Spread your wings. But yeah, best D&D &D session ever. But yeah, so like, you know, Matt. Matt from Die Hard. Yeah. Matt Farrell. Just, you know. Yeah. It just be, I, uh, Peter, I, I think Peter Parker would be the most interesting because it would have him meeting Tony Stark a lot sooner. Contact the mechanic, tell Jarvis, I'm telling Jarvis lives. Yeah. I just think that would be really interesting that, you know, that he had a way to save himself or he figured out a way to save himself in that last moment. Um, would be interesting because what if. We talked a lot about so sometimes weird POVs don't do anything for me, but Jarvis's POV is not a weird POV to me. I find it to be a very intriguing point of view, and I don't see it very often. Um, but what if he? What if one of the things he does is he's taken it upon himself to get to know people who have had some sort of because he he'd be the best judge of what has had a good impact on on Tony. So what if he takes it upon himself to get to know these people in, in social circumstances who have had an impact on Tony? Um, maybe partially out of protection, but also to see what is it about these people that draws his father in. And Harley would be one of those people. And if Tony remembered meeting Peter, um, even though it was very briefly at Stark Expo, 
the little kid. It could be, because I can imagine that could have stuck out, you know, and Jarvis would have seen that, right? He would have seen it um, in, the, mm -hmm. in the suit. So he could um, be making contact and becoming friends with um, people who have had an impact on Tony. And some of it could be also monitoring people who've had a negative impact on Tony. There's this really great um, story in um, about people on Earth watching um, Mark Watney. Um, his his video diary, uh, basically as he falls apart, um, and uh, you know how he's going to science all the shit out of this, and um, how he's going to make potatoes, he's going to grow potatoes, and everybody gets really invested in the potatoes, and then the potatoes die. I too was very invested in the potatoes, to be perfectly honest. Um, when I read the book, I was deeply invested in the potatoes. Yes, we were, we were the potatoes. Um, then he ran out of ketchup, and it was terrible. <laughs> It's like, oh my I'm god, it doesn't have any more ketchup. I'm going to dip this potato in Vicodin because nobody can tell me not to. And I ran out of ketchup <laughs> 10 days ago. But the story that the fic is basically about everybody basically on Earth, like who has a computer, watching these and responding to these logs and and becoming really invested in, in um Mark. Um, and then when they're done and Mark's been rescued, well, they're like, what are we supposed to do now? You know, there are no more Watney logs. And they're like, hey, NASA, is Mark, is, is, is he getting cuddles? Is he eating? Does he have more than potatoes to eat? <laughs> so he had to start making diary injuries again because people got <laughs> wrapped around the axle about his welfare. Um because the last time they saw him, he was practically, I mean, he was a skeleton. He was practically starved to death um, as far as the video logs were concerned. Um, the story is called, you know, you have a permanent piece of my medium-sized um, American heart by Tricatular, T-R-I-C-A-T-U-L-A-R. It's beautiful. It's a great story. But it speaks to the human spirit. And um, it would be really interesting to see that kind of reaction rally around Jarvis. Like maybe he has a fairly large online following. Maybe he does have a Twitter. Maybe people do know about him. Maybe they don't know exactly what he is, but they know he, you know, that he works for Stark Industries, that he's a computer. Um, and he has his own Twitter and he has, you know, really vehement opinions about, you know, Star's business online. And maybe he has snarky replies to like, you know, very various like news articles about Tony or whatever. He just has this huge online presence. When Jarvis is destroyed, the whole world is like, well, wait. And then maybe, maybe somebody finds a piece of him and says, Hey, I think I found a piece of Jarvis. Is anybody else seeing a piece of Jarvis? And they and people start looking like these kids who are really heavy into coding and who are really involved in, you know, in, in that kind of thing. They start finding pieces of Jarvis and it becomes like this worldwide internet phenomenon. Help us find Jarvis. We're going to put Jarvis back together. And then one day he just shows up on Tony's phone and says, hey, good afternoon, sir. And because the, the world put him back together. For Tony. That's really sweet. I think that's very sweet. You could actually, depending upon what you want to do, if you didn't want to go all the way to Age of Ultron, because who wants to go all the way to Age of Ultron? Um, <laughs> although if you're going to deal with Age of Ultron, you might as well save Jarvis. I'm just saying. 
Right. I'm just saying, you know, if if you wanted to ride an after Jar, you know, an after Ultron thing about Jarvis, I think that would be really interesting to have kind of the world rally about saving this this AI. This um because I think a lot of times that only Tony he felt Tony feels like only he really understood what Jarvis was and really was impacted by Jarvis's um sentience. But what if he wasn't the only one and he found out this way? Because the world reacted the way he did. It it wasn't a computer program that was mur it was killed. It was Tony's son that was murdered. And they're like, What well, no, 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 no. This will not stand. And the world gives Tony Stark back his son. They find all of his pieces and put him back together again. I like that. It could be that Jarvis takes it upon himself. I wonder what, I often have wondered what Iron Man, the events of Iron Man were like for, I've actually plotted a story around some of these events, but I've wondered what the events of Iron Man were like for Jarvis. You know, because there's no one living in his house, in the house. And that's where he was primarily located. Tony's mm -hmm. gone. The only, probably the only contact he has is Pepper and Happy stopping by occasionally. They don't really live there, right? So. I doubt seriously that either one of them stopped by. Yeah, they probably just left him. And so what is that like for him to be in that limbo of not knowing what's happening to Tony? And what if, to kind of go, you know, go the same idea, that he started monitoring like social media and maybe he didn't want to be you know some government agency to be able to you know sh shut off the power at the house and block him from being able to find out or look for tony so what if he arranged to you know because he got access to tony's money and stuff what if he arranged for external server space for himself that tony never knew about and um puts himself, you know, more on the internet in a way that it's them shutting off the power at the house doesn't shut him down. So he's out there. He's he's in he's in the cloud now. And um, he starts he just starts this task of monitoring social media and checking on the investigation. And he's doing all these different things and certainly learning about Twitter and social media becomes one of the things that's happening during that time. And then when Tony gets back from Afghanistan, um they talk about this, that he's done this because he didn't want to be shut off and just put in a box because Tony was gone. And what was, you know, he didn't know what was going to happen to him and he had no power to help. And, um, and so what if that kind of is a defining moment for them that Tony gives him permission to kind of keep spreading his wings online. And that's when he really develops an online presence and, he gets his own Twitter account and, or whatever was certainly, I don't know, was Twitter current? Was Twitter around in 2010? I don't know. It was. Yes, it was. Um, but whatever the big oh, social media. Facebook. I mean, he probably, <laughs> I mean, I'm not it's, sure. Facebook was. Yeah. Twitter started in 2006. Um, so yeah, he'd have gotten a, a Twitter account, I'm sure. But what if, he starts, that's when he starts getting really involved and stuff. Okay. And it's good. And people, most people like it. Right. But what if he just, Tony's given him permission to handle things, how Jarvis sees fit. You know, you've got good judgment. Go do you, do you, you do you boo. And he does. And what if Pepper becomes CEO and she suddenly doesn't like it. And one of the, and what, so what if that ripple starts preventing a lot of stuff? Because what if it, when their relationship is supposed to be forming, 
And Tony's actually dying and Jarvis has spread his wings, right? And um, she becomes CEO. And one of the first things she wants to do is stop Jarvis from interacting with the public. And so she comes to Tony and she says to him, this has to stop. And he's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> this is not well, something you got to say. Tony would be like, are you telling me that I have to make to silence my kid? Do you want me to muzzle my kid? And this is when he would recognize in her that she doesn't consider Jarvis or even the bots to be any form of sentience. Right. And so what if that prevents their relationship from occurring? Um, I wouldn't want her in charge of my company if she didn't understand what Jarvis was. Right. That would be a death nail. Death nail, nail in their, no. in their, um, in their, in their relationship. Because I don't think that Jarvis belongs to Stark Industries, but she might. She might even have plans for him to make him um, more part of Stark Industries. Um, like, you know, he, he could be doing other stuff besides being your partner in crime in this ridiculous lab. Because even when he was out saving the world, she thought Iron Man one of the worst moments for her character happens during um, what's the one before Endgame? Infinity Wars. Infinity Wars. When she is berating him and telling him that he better not be on that alien ship. This I... man's trying to save the planet and you're bitching at him. Are you fucking serious? I mean, the only appropriate thing, if you're if you're somebody's spouse and you're stuck on Earth and you're you know your spouse is the person, your spouse is the Mike Banning, he's the Tony Stark, whatever, and they're on, you know, it's like as soon as you see an alien spaceship, you know your spouse is there. The only thing you should be saying is with your shield or on it, baby. Or on it. <laughs> with That's your how shield you send or on a man it. off to war. That's how you send anybody off the war, man or woman. You send them off. You get them. You kick all their asses. Because what if that's the last thing she ever got to say to him? Better not be on that ship. <laughs> you, f I mean, that's that just to me epitomized harpy fishwife. That whole that whole trope about you know the naggy wife. I was just like, <laughs> but you know, I mean, as, as much as I don't like her character and I don't like the way that she was written, and I don't really like the actress who plays her. Um, her final moment with Tony Stark was perfect. It she was. was everything she should have been all along, right there in that one moment. Yeah. I try to treat her as kindly as I can, getting rid of her, you know. But I, I can't stand her. I mean, she, she's to me, it's like she's an awful, awful. I mean, the way she treats him. They, the, all the character writing for the women for the, in the MCU, for the most part, is not done well. No, no. The TV shows honestly handle it better than they do than they do on the movies, which is sad. Um, I just don't have any depth, really. So, like, and I'm so tired of these strong females, you know, archetype. It's like, give us something else than just a woman who can kick somebody's ass and express no emotion at all so over it um the wonder woman wonder woman nailed it i mean they they nailed the kind of Boom. female character we want right 
And they did it in Black Panther too. We had some great female characters in Black Panther. Um, Fantastic. Although there is a, a there is a thing in Black Panther that bothers me. The thing is, is that his sister, they gave T'Challa's accomplishments as an academic and as an inventor to his sister. In the comic book, he does all that stuff. He made his, um, he kind of reinvented the suit. Um, he's the one that works with all the technology. He's really super smart, like Tony Stark smart. Um, and he's just like really on his game. And they gave it to, to his sister in the movie. And I was like, why'd you? that from a black man someone you know that a lot of young black men should look up to for um a lot of reasons and why would you take that from that character and give it to um his sister and the sister she did do some stuff but she, they should have taken it from him to give her more and also shuri in the comic books um fights him for the throne uh, she's i think they're closer in age yeah. Is well, she well, ends up becoming Cheetah or I'm forgetting what her. And she does eventually, I think, become Black Panther. Well, honestly, in the movie, I think their biggest misstep all the way around with any character was with her. Because as somebody just pointed out in the chat room, she, you don't actually put a 15-year-old in charge of the sciences. They don't have the development yet, no matter how no matter how smart they are, no matter how um you let them invent, you give them the freedom to expand, but you don't dump that kind of responsibility, in my opinion, on a 15 year old. Also, they're not old enough, their brains are not developed enough to have developed sound judgment. Even the female brain, which develops slightly faster than the male brain, 15, I mean, she's no. obviously not emotionally mature. No. And so it was just, it was just bullshit that, you know, and I agree, she should have had the option of exploring and making mistakes. I'm, um, reading what dark said in the chat room she should be exploring and making mistakes and going to college and learning to be a person i completely agree i completely agree and dating some inappropriate person having a, <laughs> a big old crush on mbaku um <laughs> that her brother gets really pissed off about because of course you know every woman in that country should every and most of the men should be having a crush on mbaku you know <laughs> completely inappropriate crushes it's like that's why they don't want him to come into Wakanda. Vagina's clenching all over the world. They're like, <laughs> I don't want you, I, I, I don't want to deal with all the pheromones when you come to come to court. No, go away. Stay, stay up in your stay up in Stop your, barking at me. It makes me feel inappropriate towards you. <laughs> it makes me feel very I'm inappropriate trying to be towards here. you. <laughs> I appeared on the screen in the theater. I went, oh. Oh. My husband no, turned me what? I was like, shush. shush, shush no. <laughs> You're not even here right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could just say in Baku, I, I ship it. Whatever. Just, I, I don't care. It. I don't care Whatever. you put him with. I ship it. <laughs> My ovaries clenched during that movie. Um. Anyways, so yeah, yeah I just I I wish they had not taken that from T'Challa, and and it was just I get why they wanted to um to do what they did. You know the empowerment, and I you know there was lots of female empowerment in that movie. I did not need a fifteen year old genius, um, making sarcastic remarks. 
and acting like Bruce Banner and Tony Stark were mor- were, um, were were morons. It's a good thing that didn't actually happen. That didn't happen until Infinity War because if that had happened in Black Panther, I'd have come out of it scowling because you just don't treat Bruce Banner like he's an idiot. I, that's not going to fly. <laughs> How many PhDs does he have? Seven. Yeah, he's ridiculous. He's ridi- um, um, he's ridiculous over there. Um, but it, yeah, it would be interesting for um. Well, let's get back to Dom and Jarvis um, having a bromance. Ha! I love I love Jarvis them having a bromance. Dom should have a total bromance. And he could like walk into the house and Tony's all disgruntled and Pepper doesn't know what to do with this shit. And Jarvis would be like, good afternoon, Dom. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> and you're like, huh? Everybody's like, what are you doing? How do you know him? <laughs> He's like in command of security for Stark Industries, sir. Of course I know him. Jarvis would say, I believe the common vernacular is that Dominic is my BFF. (laughs) (laughs) He's my brother from another mother. (laughs) (laughs) Another father. He's my... John, yeah, he fist bumps the wall. Yeah, so Dom could walk in and he could be like, it's all of that stuff. And they could have been talking the whole way. Dom could have been giving him instructions on what to do about security and, you know, all the da da da. Because he's got now got control because Happy's given it to him. And he just walks in. And he's like, are all of the things I asked done? And, and Jarvis is like, yes, they're, they're completed. And Tony's like, what the hell are you two talking about? Why, you don't have any authority to do anything. And and Dom's like, I don't work for you. I work for Happy. <laughs> so hush. Just just hush. Just close your pretty mouth and be quiet. <laughs> I'm here to keep you alive and know you can't talk to the press. There could be somebody. You know, honestly, there could have been somebody in that audience with a bomb. Mm-hmm. Or who was going to be a bomb. Mm-hmm. It was just very bad. It was very bad. It would be really interesting to see Dom meet the bots. And to watch, maybe to have Tony and Pepper watch him interacting with the bots. He's heard about them. Maybe they've even sent him his too. Because, you know, they're all up in Jarvis's business. Um, and they're really excited to finally meet him in person. <laughs> Bring him really bad coffee. <laughs> He's seen their baby pictures. <laughs> yeah, because I imagine... I imagine, like, he... Jarvis wouldn't set up any kind of direct connection with the bots without Tony's permission. So, but he could have right. been talking back, being an intermediary between them. He could tell the bots, you know, I've met somebody. He's very nice. Um, he's given me some very good advice about how to do proper background checks. So we don't have another Natasha situation. And the bots are all, you know, in fan, fans of that. And, and that could be part of what Jarvis is interested in is that Dom tells him like, j- maybe at some point in their friendship or in their conversation, he mentions the, the issues about security and, and Dom tells him, well, you know, there's different ways to, because it's in Sentry that I have, I think, that I have um, Dom teaching Jarvis how to do a better background check. Um, what would be really interesting is that, um, you know, maybe that Jarvis has a whole list of concerns and they're not all about himself. Because Jarvis is the one that had to just watch while Tony dragged himself down those stairs. Mm-hmm. After Thane took the arc reactor out of his chest, yeah, and he's like, "How do I prevent that from happening again? How do I, you know, 
what do I do? And maybe all along, Dom has just been giving Jarvis advice about these are the things you could do in these kinds of situations. Um, and giving him options and just letting him kind of grow and explore without ever being intrusive. And he's really been a real friend to Jarvis. And so um, Jarvis, you know, when, when, when Dom finally comes to the house and he finally meets Tony, um, Jarvis is very, um, I would imagine that'd be very much for him. Like the two halves of his world are coming together at that point. He's going to have to do some confessing. I've known I've known Dominic for several years now, sir. I've we've had this discussion that I had friends, <laughs> but I didn't know you had hot friends, <laughs> sir. You know that um, appearance is is not one of my concerns. <laughs> I don't make friends based on their appearance, sir. But objectively speaking, Dom is attractive. I find his casing to be agreeable. <laughs> Do you have any other extremely attractive casing friends? <laughs> He's aesthetically pleasing. Ouch. No. Margaret. Ouch. Oh my God. You she changed her middle one. name. <laughs> <laughs> And with an E. <laughs> Margaret says, statistically speaking, some of my friends would have to be up to your standards of appearance. It's not that hard, sir. I mean, he does any port in a storm. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I find Iron Man 3 to be a really interesting time because I do like that connection to Happy. I like... Um, I like, you know, and the thing is, if you, if you have, if Jarvis has been spreading his wings for a while, it could be that, you know, they aren't, they never quite achieved a relationship. That maybe he did keep, you know, Pepper as part of his company, but maybe that hit her attitude towards Jarvis just was not something he could deal with in their relationship. And that actually would, them not being in a relationship could content, actually could potentially change a lot of things in. Mm, maybe not because because what's his face was still after Tony even if he also was after Pepper so he would have just gone after them independently I think I think that if um, she's not in a relationship with Tony he might not be keeping track of her the way he is in Iron Man 3 um, and I think that it gets Pepper killed that could well we had almost done a one of our, you know, things around, one of our plots for November, one of the ideas we tossed around was an idea, a prompt, where Pepper does die during Iron Man 3. Um, mm -hmm. That was our, that was our prompt. I mean, we, we were going to do both writing on the same prompt, and we were doing an MCU prompt, we were going to do that Pepper one of the, one of the two options we had tossed around and it wasn't the one that won was pepper dies during well actually it was just pepper dies wasn't it wasn't that vague pepper dies I'd yeah liked, i mean i'd yeah. liked iron man 3 as an obvious place for her to die without having to because something i could use a cannon event to kill her as opposed to i mean but thang could have easily killed her in iron man 1 yeah yeah 
She could have been with having in Iron Man 3 and died. Yeah. Oh, what if that is? What if that is? Because if Jarvis has been spreading his wings for a while, he interfered, or just him being um, so out there caused a lot of arguments between her and um, Tony, so they aren't in a relationship. And she and Happy in the comic books actually is in love with Pepper. What if ha Happy invited her out to lunch that day and Pepper is killed in the bombing? Yeah, that would work. And honestly, that could be part of the reason why the bombing could actually make Happy realize that he's had his like eye on more on Pepper than he's had it on Tony. And he's grief stricken, but he's realized he's got to get somebody else who's objective about security and in on things because he's been more focused on Pepper. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it was a th it was a theater. I thought I thought he was having lunch somewhere, but I, like I said, I haven't watched it in a very long time. It's one of those movies you watch once, and that's like my least favorite, almost my least favorite MCU movie, um, of the ones I've seen. There's a couple I haven't because ants. Um, so they're saying um, Groman's Chinese theater. Yeah, I think that's where the bombing occurred, but I don't know where. I don't remember exactly where Happy was. Yeah. So, but however the bombing came about, it, it could easily be that there's another bombing or that they are wound up near another. Um, I mean, Killian obviously was focused on Pepper too. In in the movie, um, he, he visits her or she visits him and she's very pleasant to him, even though she says no. Um, I think he wants to meet with Tony and she turns him down. Um, but she's very pleasant about it. She's very gracious. What if she wasn't? Well, he's the kind of asshole who would not yes. take no for an answer. Yeah. There's something appealing, though, honestly, about for me, about getting them together before the events of the Avengers. That's the only thing about Iron Man 3 is a really good spot. Well, depending on what you want to do, because one of the ideas I had when we talked about Pepper dies, right? was to do it around Iron Man 3. And it causes a rift between the Avengers because Tony is furious that she died and his team was off chasing, you know, on Wild Goose Chases for S.H.I.E.L.D. rather than being there to help him with all this Mandarin crap once the Mandarin started targeting him or once Killian started targeting him. And so he doesn't want anything to do with the Avengers. And, um, and that, that could be a situation where Happy brings... Tony in is to help with security around Pepper's funeral and keeping the Avengers away from Tony. Brings Dom in, rather. Because um, I actually, it actually is a I have, I have, bring this up in Sentry that Tony and Steve talk about this that Steve apologizes because he saw about the house going into the hill that he was he was on a mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. he didn't know what was going on with Tony he heard about it when he got back to the States and he was really sorry um, and they had they did, they did talk it but the events of that take place pretty close to right after Iron Man 3 because there comes a point that it starts to be weird in these solo movies that these that the Avengers didn't have much contact with each other um, mm -hmm. And if Tony's being targeted by a terrorist, 
I just it, I would think it'd be really egregious that his team didn't do anything about it. Um, Dark says, "What if Happy brings Dom in while Tony is missing to help with security on the properties?" Let's back it all the way up. Let's back it all the way up. What if Happy brings Dom in to find Tony when he's kidnapped? He needs an investigator who can land on his feet in the Middle East. Or is it Afghanistan? It's Afghanistan. Um, who better than an NCIS agent who's been over there? Yeah. Who has connections. A former NCIS agent. Maybe that's what breaks. Maybe that's what it breaks because he contacts Dom and asks for this favor um, and Gibbs doesn't want any part of it. And Tony says, look, you're either going to let me do this or I'm gone. And Gibbs says no. And Tony says, I quit. Shows up in California. Happy installs him in Tony Stark's house because nobody else is there. Gives him Jarvis and says, help me find my boss. And Jarvis can hack anything. Because nobody else is like at the house, right? It's a perfect place. He has a lot of resources. He would be kind of off the um, off the radar because Thang's not paying attention to Tony Stark's house. Um, happy to redirect Pepper. In fact, I don't think every federal agency in America was looking for Tony Stark. I don't think any of them were. Personally. Yeah, I think Rhodey was was working on it and the military was working. I actually think the Department of Defense had really good motivation to try to find him, but I believe they would have just tried to do it straight through the military, military search only. They wouldn't have had. Yeah. I mean, federal. I think a lot of it might have also been, will it S.H.I.E.L.D. handle it? And S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't handling it. Yeah, so that could be, and if you do it, if you do it that, um, so you could either go with the thing I, we talked about earlier where, like, I really like the idea of Happy being really impressed with Dom's integrity in terms of needing to find the truth and his investigative prowess. Because even if it's actually Happy that owes Dom the favor, because um, it'd be easy to call in a favor if, if it's if it's Dom that owes Happy the favor, he could call in the favor and say, I'm, I'm calling my favor, I need you to come help from my boss. But I actually like the idea that he, he has a... He, he knows he has this this history with him that shows him that Dom is an ethical man, that he is he does the right thing, that he will push for the truth even when it's inconvenient, right? Um, even when everything says, and so he's gotten to know him, and so he trusts him, and he knows he's a good investigator because maybe Dom got to the truth when nobody else did. So that's when he guy calls on Dom and comes and says, "I need you to come to California, help me find my boss." And then with Jarvis to help him, what if they actually do get there to rescue Tony as Tony's just ready to rescue himself? So let's say you already have gotten to the invention of the Iron Man suit, right? He's already done well, the work. You could actually kind of slot him in. And the assumption could be that Rhodes was where he was because of Tony Genozo's information. He was so close. Meanwhile, Tony Dinozo is in Los Angeles arranging for Obadiah Stane to be arrested. He figures it out. And then you prevent, you know, that whole thing with the Ironmonger. But yeah, if you want Jensen to live, you could have, you know, um, Dom's presence mean that he accelerates the speed at which that they're in the area to find Tony. And they get to him just enough sooner that they get Jensen out. 
So you could get Jensen coming back. Well, maybe there, there's that moment where Jensen um, and him are getting ready to leave and they realize that they are not going to be able to do it the way they plan to do it. Or Tony has realized it isn't going to happen the way he thought it was going to happen. And that Jensen um, is going to sacrifice himself. Um, the terrorists had radios, right? Yeah. So what if because of what Genozo has been doing in California, Rhodey is close and his way into their radio network he's worked his way in and he's using like whatever road he has with him to make an inroad into that terrorist encampment and he tells them you know james Rhodes on his way you guys need to make room for him and tony makes room and he blows everybody up (laughs) (laughs) and yeah you stay over here stay behind me we're gonna meet. We're gonna meet Rhodey in the middle. <laughs> it could also be they're getting ready to go. I mean, it's just a subtle change, right? What if Rhodey getting close is put pressure on the terrorists, and they're all that none of them are in there worrying about Tony. They're worrying about are these military helicopters going to find our location? Mm-hmm. So they're monitoring what's going on with the military searching the area, and they're not putting pressure on Tony. So all you, I mean, all you need is a few minutes, right. For him to get in that suit. You need an extra, you basically need an extra 30 seconds for him to get in that suit that they're distracted by a military helicopter. So all you need is for Rhodey to get there a few hours earlier and Jensen lives. And the suits and the, and the suits viable. Yeah. The suits on, he's invented it already. He's already miniaturized it because the key thing was the miniaturization of the arc reactor, right? That's the key thing that happened in that, in that cave. And it's possible that Tony Stark could get to that in some other way through some other path. He could get to um, the miniaturization of the arc reactor, but he had abandoned working on the arc reactor technology. So it was that set of circumstances that gave him that, that set of external circumstances gave him that motivation to look at what he had and what he knew and come up with a way out. And that's why he miniaturized the arc reactor. And that more than the suit was the key part of the Iron Man, right? Because once he had done that, he had a way of powering a robotic suit. So if he's gotten to the point where he's made the suit and he's made the arc reactor, that's all you need to achieve Iron Man. You don't need him to actually blast his way out of that hole. He's done the hard part. He survived open heart surgery in a cave. He survived having his heart hooked up to a car battery, basically. So he's done the hard part. He's done. He didn't need to actually do the blasting himself out. That's not what made Iron Man, right? It was everything right. else that happened. But I really liked the idea of happy calling Dom in early and Dom's part of the team. And, you know, they're, once they figure out where Tony is, you know, I'm sure Dom's going to figure out that somebody did this, somebody paid for this to happen. And then he starts looking into who benefits and he's going to figure that out. And he's going to figure it out probably pretty quickly. When he gets back, Stane is trying to manipulate him and a bunch of FBI agents roll up because Dom's not going to trust S.H.I.E.L.D. They're not doing anything. A bunch of FBI agents roll up and arrest, you know, Stane before he can do anything further. And Tony's like, what the hell? And it's like, yeah, that was that was the dude who... Uh, We're going to eat some this. cheeseburgers and then we'll have a conversation about that. I will explain everything. He's like, who are you? 
Well, I've been living in your guest room <laughs> the whole time you've been gone. Your bots miss you. They do miss you. I, you know, I think that if Dom has been in that house as long as he has, um, he's already done some security changes. Nick Fury doesn't get in that house. No. He could Dom could teach Dummy um, Morse code. Oh, that's cute. I mean, Nebula does it in um, Unleash Your Demons um, just to be an asshole. But it would be funny if Dom did it so he could communicate with Dummy directly. It'd be sweet. That would be. Or he could teach him sign language. He has a little claw, doesn't he? He has a claw. It's not quite enough to do. I don't think. Yeah. Maybe maybe Tony comes back and, and Dummy has a full hand. Well, he had to learn abbreviated sign language so we could have a conversation. <laughs> Donnie, would you like to hand? Yes, I would. <laughs> but I, we printed that. <laughs> but Seth seems on a very different path if Tony comes back to a support network he didn't know he had. Um, and if if Pepper is very focused on the company, you know, and being at handling things, you know, as Tony Stark's personal assistant at SI, right? Filling in for the missing CEO or whatever. Um, not filling in, but, you know, covering his desk. She's not paying attention to what's going on at the house with, with the bots. And no. um, so I think she's not paying any attention to any of that. Happy just is like. Happy needed a place for his friend to stay that was secure so that he could investigate all this shit that Happy was pretty sure was wrong, but he didn't know how or why. He's like, I'm not an investigator. I'm a security guy. And, um, and, and Happy just decides. He takes the initiative and says, Jarvis is the best resource to help you. You two can help each other. You need to be in proximity to Jarvis. And yes, you could get access to Jarvis from outside the house, but you have better access to Jarvis from inside the house. So I'm putting you in Tony's guest room. And plus the bots are lonely. I mean, yes. and kids are lonely. The kids are lonely. Honestly, I think that the bots are lucky that Stain didn't consider them useful, or they wouldn't have been there when Tony got home. No, I agree. I think that Jarvis and the bots, all three, were kind of low on the radar for everybody. I don't think that anybody knew what their potential was. and Because uh, um, if they had, I don't think that any of them would have been there when, when, when Tony got home. I think Jarvis would have been somewhere in SI and the bots would have been gone as well. And of course, he'd had a Peter pitched a big old fucking fit. Um, but there's no telling what would have been done to them in the meantime. Yeah, if Stain had seen any of them as a as a threat, I think that they'd have been probably just Jarvis's server farm taken offline. Because um, I don't think he would have thought he had a chance of finding all of Jarvis's backups and destroying them. But he could have easily destroyed the bots. I think the bots probably would have been destroyed outright. Because they wouldn't have been, because, you know, even Tony has a hard time controlling them because they do what they want. Mm -hmm. um, and since they weren't, um, since they couldn't be trusted to do a task the way that they've been instructed to do a task, he probably would have had them destroyed and Jarvis would have been taken offline if he'd have realized what kind of threat they were. Because Dummy is the only reason that Tony Stark lived. And if he'd known that Dummy was capable of helping Tony, he'd have, he'd have taken him out before he left that house. Yeah. That'd have been it'd have been all over. 
I don't know why Tony would have that device in his house that 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 Thane uses against him. I mean, it's just a stunner, right? It's like a, it's a basically it's a taser. I don't know why Tony would have something like that in his house. It was a device that they had. It hadn't. They hadn't. Yeah, he did bring it in, um, but it was a device that basically wasn't workable for SI as a as a product. Um, Do you think it was a a prototype for um, Natasha's widow bites? No, because no, because the widow bites were more of a weapon. But it, they, it might have. Yeah, it was an audio thing. Um, that's why he used earplugs, special, specially made earplugs, mm-hmm. to prevent himself from being affected by it. Okay. Um, so it wasn't any kind of. It wasn't like a real stunner. It if paralyzed them. It caused paralysis based upon something about sound. But I thought it had been kind of like an unworkable product. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't see him having it lying around. Especially if it was a product that hadn't gone anywhere. And if if it had been a product he was working on, it would have been down in his lab, and so it wouldn't have been available for people to just grab. I think that if Thane had gone through his lab and t- and taken stuff, that Jarvis would have told Tony the moment he got home. Yeah. So I imagine it was laying around some lab in SI. Okay. So Gnome says it was meant for an army contract that was scrapped. Because I mean, honestly, if it's it's a vice that if your own people lose their very expensive earplugs, it's going to affect your own people. It's a terrible idea. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, it might be workable as a droppable grenade from or missile. Yeah, something you fly with a drone or something. Yeah, but still, it's pretty indiscriminate who it affects, though. And also probably easy to re um to reverse engineer. So you wouldn't want to leave one hanging around after the fact. Yeah. So you wouldn't want a drone to drop it because then it'd be used against you. It's, uh, it's iffy. <sighs> iffy. Um. But with Tony, with, with Dom on the scene, um, being his badass investigator self, a lot of this just wouldn't happen. Yeah, it wouldn't. I don't think Stain would have gotten away with it if there had been a genuine investigator on the on the deal. No, I think that he would have, if, if, if somebody with a, a good intuitive investigator had looked into the situation, they'd have, they'd have found the money trail. It's just pure damn industrial espionage. Yeah. And murder for hire. Which is what it was initially, right? Which was yeah. supposed, to, supposed to be murder for hire. And then they, they didn't murder him. Greed, man. Found out what, who you wanted us to kill. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, the MCU equivalent of having an adult, a competent investigator. I'm pretty sure Jarvis is the only adult in MCU. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I mean, so if you bring um Dom onto the scene earlier, um, it prevents a lot of shenanigans, including that ridiculous relationship with Pepper Star with with, with Pepper, because because um... <laughs> oh, hot ass no. guy living in his house. This wife who bet who um, um, who nags him a lot of choice. However, will he decide? <laughs> and my bots already like him. <laughs> my bots love him. I, you know, I considered Phil Coulson an adult right to the point where they were so invested in his secret life that they didn't that he didn't show up to Tony Stark's funeral. Yeah. 
Well, the thing is, for me, once Phil remembered who he was and he remembered his life and everything, I had a hard time with the fact that he let all those people mourn him. Thaddeus Ross showed up at Tony Stark's funeral, Ugh. but Phil Coulson didn't. It's actually some of the people who showed up is actually seriously disrespectful. I mean, Wanda right? was there, mm. right? Ross was there, but Phil Coulson was not. And I was like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> so they didn't want to play, pay to have Clark Gregg on, uh, pay an extra, you know, pay that extra For, little bit of salary. Those cheap what, bastards. What fifteen seconds of, yeah. of him standing there with Melinda May would have been. It, so expensive what yeah it's ridiculous but end game didn't happen right let's fuck all that shit that's right i I mean if i really wanted to write a fix it i would do it from infinity war for that arc if i wanted to do a thanos based fix it it would have to be centered around infinity war like you did i mean even if i wrote unleash your demons today i would still start it where i started it (laughs) Right, because who needs that negativity in their life? Nobody. I can't I can't afford to give myself stress nosebleeds. <laughs> I can't deal with the Thor plot line. I can't deal with the Bruce plot line. I cannot deal with the Tony plot line. I mean, it's just... When I came out of it, the first thing I thought was a conversation with the Jillian about Bruce Banner. Jesus. I was so glad I had a warning about that. I was so upset. I cried. So when she told when Kira told me, I cried. I just I sat here crying. I couldn't deal with it. I was like, what they do to what they do to Bruce? Um now the thing what is, they do to Bruce, what do they do to Hulk? Yeah, both of them. It's terrible. It's terrible. They took they took Bruce's humanity away. They murdered the Hulk. I was just oh. but the thing is actually of the, I can't deal with Bruce and Thor. Those two plot lines infuriated me. But Tony's plot line actually was good as a character arc i hate that he died and i just can't deal with that because he's my favorite character so why would i want him dead but his arc was actually good he died saving the universe um and you know he didn't he didn't just you know he stayed tony stark right he got back he was hurt. He was wounded. He was angry, and rightfully so, because he did tell them this is going to be a problem, and nobody listened to him. So he actually had for for an exit plot line. He had a great one. It does. It's still. I don't want to deal with that shit. <laughs> I just don't. I don't want to deal with Peter's sadness, and I don't want to deal with. I just don't. No. No. Okay. I'll I'll never watch it again because when when he's caught, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark, we won. Yeah, I can't. And it's just—it's just—it's. I, I mean, I—I I am not exaggerating the fact that I got a stress nosebleed during the end game. G- blood gushed from my nose. He lost his daughter. I mean, it's just—you know—I don't think his last line was horrible because there were moments during the Iron Man arc and during the Avengers where they tried to separate the Iron Man from Tony Stark because they thought that Iron Man was acceptable but Tony Stark was not and that was him telling everybody that was him telling the fucking universe that he was Iron Man I am Iron Man and there won't ever be another one yeah I agree he's saying I did this somebody else might wear the suit but I'm Iron Man. Yeah. So that's beautiful. It was beautiful, but I will never watch it again. Because it no. destroys me. No. And I just... 
We don't even get into Steve's plotline being the worst thing ever. It, which is, for character plotline, what happened to him is the worst thing ever. But they were going to go down that path. That was their plot device, whatever. But it was just so disrespectful to the characters, what they did to Hulk, Bruce, and Thor. I just, I can't even with those idiots. Which is why I would even, even in a time travel situation, I wouldn't deal with Endgame. I would do it from Infinity War. Because at least nothing that egregious had happened in Infinity War. Sarah says, I took it as them advocating Iron Man to erase Tony Stark again. I think if that had wearing his helmet, but he wasn't. And he was looking right at Thanos and he was letting him know, hey, I don't even fucking need a Hulk. <laughs> I don't yeah, need I an army. I took it as, oh, you can't have one without the other. It's the same. Because you're right, they did keep trying to take, separate the I two got this. And take it from him. And it was like, and even Pepper, she only ever wanted Tony. She didn't want Iron Man. And he's saying, I am. This is me. I did, and he's and he fixed it. I did this. I'm fixing this. So, um, yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. Because to me, I am Iron Man. I am Tony fucking Stark. Is actually the same line, <laughs> just set different right. ways. But from Shield's perspective, Shield was never interested in Tony fucking Stark, except for what he could do for them. But anyway, yes, they're lost. But I do like the idea of of Jarvis um, cultivating this relationship with um, Dom in various different circumstances, and it changing things. Um, but um, having Happy bring Dom in to find Tony Stark when he's kidnapped by terrorists is awesome. When are you going to write it? <laughs> <laughs> I really like the idea. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I could stay in that lane as much as I want. Because one of my leading contenders for next November is another, or this November, is another Tony Tony story. Uh, Tony squared. Dom, it would be a Dom. Dom. Tony story. So you mean for um, layers? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So that's, I, I have... Two. I have a Star Trek story I plotted, and then for, for November I plotted that one, and then I plotted the story for the two Tonys. The first one I plotted was the two Tonys, but um, I'm not mad at any of that. I'm just waiting to see. Oh, uh, someone asked about Rough Trade for 2021. Um, yes, we do have those. Um, we picked them, figured it's, out. It's uh, the, I, I don't remember what order, but it was Soulmates. I got it. Time travel. April, it's April with Soulmates. Paranormal Romance slash Urban Fantasy, whichever one you want to write, is in July. And then Time Travel is in November. Yeah. So we're calling them Faded, Perceptions, and Timeless. Yeah, we're, we're revisiting favorites of the past. Or not uh, so favorites. Or not so favorites. <laughs> I mean, and sometimes, like for me, Soulmates was the one that I had my head injury. So I really, yeah, really was sad, sad, sad about missing that. Um, so I really want to do that one. I wasn't around, uh, I don't think, when you guys did Shifters. So getting to do Paranormal Romance will be fun. I really want to, I probably will do Shifters because that was why I thought of it. And then time travel, time travel. Time travel. The trope I have done the biggest reversal on in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I think after a whole year of doing Sentinel, um, the having a little variety in 2021 will be will be good for us. I'm gonna give you some thematic, some thematic tropes, some sort of fandom type genres. You go 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 crazy. And the thing is with those, I find that they're loose enough that you can do a lot with them because there's paranormal romance could mean almost anything: ghosts, vampires, werewolves, psychics, whatever. It's just if it's not normal, and you put romance in it, <laughs> if it's not normal. <laughs> I love the way you said that. <laughs> and honestly, even the um, even the Sentinel actually require um, actually qualifies as paranormal romance. If you really so want to you, do it again, <laughs> if you get if you get to July and you still want to if you and you still want to stick that put that little black dress on, you go right ahead. <laughs> but fairy AU could be paranormal romance. Mm -hmm. You could you could do wish babies and call it me as long as there's some kissing and something that's not normal. I'd call it paranormal babies. romance. Yeah. And it's but, definitely some inexplicable babies. But July is um paranormal romance slash urban fantasy. So you can do either or. Um the difference between them is is an urban fantasy, you can have a romantic subplot, but you have to be able to remove that subplot and still have a whole story for it to qualify as an urban fantasy. Yeah, it can't be central Otherwise, to your you're main plot. Written in a paranormal romance, which you know you could do too. So. Which we all do, you know. Um, yeah, I, and what you the easiest way to do that is to plot a story that has no romance in it, and then add the romance to your plot afterwards. But that is a very difficult thing for a romance writer to do. It actually just kind of makes their whole body clench and go, "Why am I? Why am I plotting a whole story and adding romance in as an afterthought? I can't. I can't." My whole body still clenched up from from that experience. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really enjoy the um the subtle body as a story. Um, but I had to stop it where I stopped it. Otherwise, it would not have been an urban fantasy. It's very difficult. Well, but you could write an ace character and still do paranormal romance. romance. You could just, I mean. Ace doesn't equal a romantic unless you want to write an a romantic ace character. Could be a refreshing change is, you know. It's actually one of my, one of my, I, it's, I just think it's an, this adorable, this adorable team. Also, I can't remember the name of it, but that Styles and Peter get married. So their libraries can be together. Because <laughs> they're both because they're both ace. Um they love each other, but they want their libraries to be together. So which, you know, a bibliophile would appreciate that, you know, that that whole it was just a very cute story that they got married so their libraries could coexist. Um what don't they think what I'm sorry, Dark, what what don't they like, think counts as a asexual? Like that you have to be both asexual and a romantic romantic to be asexual that's that's crazy cakes because you can be you can be anything <laughs> night ellie we're on a spectrum we're all on a spectrum like sexuality is a spectrum period across the board it's not just one or the other i mean we're all on a spectrum like I'm mostly het, except for that one part of me who has a big giant crush on Katie Lang. Yeah. I mean. It's not a tiny part of me, but you know, whatever. 
That's fair, right? It's Katie Lang. Right. <laughs> and also, I got a soft spot for Ruby Rose, too. I'm not going to lie. Right? That kind of makes me feel like a dirty old lady, actually. I'm like, I got to stop this. <sighs> Somebody shared a photo of her with me. Um... A while ago. So I can find the link. I was just like, oh, Jesus. Stop. Don't show me that. <laughs> Google's a messed <her> up. <laughs> yeah, it's this one. Uh, see? I mean, clearly I, I have a thing for masculine looking women. But Ruby Rose can look can look just look as fem as anybody else too. So she's she she can she can do what she wants. Mm -hmm. She's and she's hot no matter what she does. But yeah, she's always hot. Yeah, I I have to save that picture. Shh. Yeah, she's she's hot like fire. Um. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember what it was I was casting for, but somebody suggested her, and she I'm like she's just not old enough. Quit sending me pictures. She's not old enough, and I'm I'm gonna have a hard time not casting her. But he keeps sending me pictures, and she's not old enough. But I don't even remember what it was for. She's thirty three years old. She wasn't old enough. I think the character I was casting for is closer to fifty. But still, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize she was that old. I had to, I had to get that out because it, it drives me nuts. I just I can't stand it. Yeah, it does mix it, it. It makes me twitch a little bit too. My my, my eyes like start to go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, at least she's a grown ass adult. Like she's thirty three. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like it. I can't stand to see it in Harry Potter fic. Not Wix or Wixen. I can't stand it. It drives me nuts. Sometimes you just have a really bad visceral reaction to something, so you just it's just it's like nope, that doesn't work for me. I realize what it's for. I just don't like it. And I, I, I don't have a. I don't have any kind of. I just don't like it. And I won't read a story that has it in it. If I see it, I close it. Because I find it. I just. No, it's not as quick. No, no. I just don't like the word. The principle behind it is fine. I okay. Mean... I just don't. I just. I don't like the word itself when we were because it's sort of like when we were looking for gender neutral pronouns yeah it's her, definitely a moist situation <laughs> yeah but like when we were, looking at, we're we were looking at a list of gender neutral pronouns to use for the server which one we were going to pick because we wanted to pick one for people to pick for their pronoun if they wanted one that was not they or them they wanted like an alternate pronoun um we looked at a list and um we wanted to look we wanted to pick one that was relatively common and fairly well known as a third pronoun but there were some on the list of like the list of five or six that i was like no 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 i couldn't even tell you why it wasn't the issue of there being a third pronoun set it was like just that particular one i was like no i mean it was a hard stop for me we're, like, we're not putting that on the server it, it was <laughs> definitely a moist situation yeah sometimes you just react negatively to, to a word so yeah <laughs> it's just i can't i don't know what it is it's moist. I don't even mind the word moist. 
I, I imagine, I imagine we have several members of the people in our audience and in the podcast and the future are going, oh, Kira, please stop saying the M word. I really <laughs> wish you would stop saying the M word. <laughs> Actually, it makes me think of Twix. <laughs> so, Twix? Twix? I really enjoy Twix. I do too. I, I can't explain the, the disconnect, but Twix. And then when they say Twix, <laughs> Wix, and I go, Twixen. <laughs> 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 Give me two Twix. <laughs> That's right. Where's my Twix and my Twix? I, I do think it's a phonics issue. I mean, there are just some things that just really throw me off. Um, that I just... Like, I hate to even see the word turgid. Oh, oh, Jesus. Please. No. Much less say it. Well, you just oh. did. I know, and it made me... I gagged a little in the back of my throat. I often use the word magicals if I'm referring to like witches and wizards. Um, I just, I had a very visceral reaction the first time I saw Wixen and I was like, nope. <laughs> I just, it was just like 100% no. And, um, you know, it's just sometimes mages works good too. Um, it's just, it's, I don't know, it just, it bothers me. I also use mages in small magic somebody asked Harry Potter what he is um, and he says he's a magus. That his species is magus. Um, and I just... I don't know. It's just sometimes you just have a visceral reaction to a word. And I had that reaction to 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 Wixen. And it was just like, I'm 100% nope. I can't read a damn thing with it in it. If I see it, I close it. I, I just can't... I I think I got through I've gotten through a couple stories that use it. It's becoming more common, but I don't read a ton of Harry Potter anymore. So it's just like if it's, if it's a story I really want to read, I try not to let that particular word stop me. But it has on more than one occasion. So it it, it gets in my way. But there have been a few times it's like I want to read that bad enough that I'm going to overcome. <laughs> I later on in the week we're going to do a podcast about writing sex, and if, there are a couple of terms in sex scenes. If I see them, I will close the fic and not go oh, back yeah. to it. And one of those words is box. Yep. If you refer to a woman's vagina as a box, I'm closing your story and I'm never reading it again. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, any, yeah. Any word that makes a man's penis into a weapon is just got to go. A hundred percent. No. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna read that either. Um. Door. <laughs> oh, you no. mean back door? <laughs> I have to say, one of the things, for starters, shit being used, the word shit as an epithet being used anytime in a sex scene is just. You gotta stop. Please don't. Please don't. But one of the things that will throw me right out, and it's like, is this whole trope that has developed about apparently dried semen being like super glue. It's like, I mean, when I read a story where someone's losing hair and skin and skin because they and didn't get the cum off before they fell asleep, I'm like, oh, you know, like, honestly, like when you see people talk about how they ruined sheets and they ruined a blanket, it, that shit washes off, y'all. <laughs> it doesn't even stain, usually. I mean, unless it's you're like, maybe you like got some really weird jizz and you're getting it on some raw silk or something. It's just yeah, we do have a podcast from a long time ago where we talked about sex writing, but we're going to do it again because things have been updated. We've got issues, you know. Ever heard again? And sometimes people just need to hear it again. Sometimes people don't go back and listen to the archive. So you know, 
But yeah, I read something. I read something like two days ago, three maybe, where it's like they fell asleep, you know, like face to face, right? And they wake up, and like when they pulled apart, they, one of them like lost their lost hair and bits of skin and stuff, and they were bleeding. And I was like, "What is wrong?" This is a person who's never actually encountered semen in their life, ever, ever. That's <laughs> hilarious, Susan. I hope your passengers are entertained by me. Acid. I mean, you know they they think that men come acid. Apparently, I mean, I don't know what it's like. They're, they're not actual xenomorphs. Right. Oh, they say thing. We have to get cleaned up before we stick together. No, you're not going to stick together. It's going to get, it's going to get a little dry. I mean, whoop do you fucking do, you know? But, but this actually, this is going to horrify many of you. But I was reading this story and you could tell the author was wanting to inject some gritty realism into their sex scene, even though there had been no gritty realism in this whole fucking story, right? But the characters finally have sex and they want to put in some gritty realism for some reason into the sex scene. And I wanted to write them and I go, who hurt you? Because Jesus <laughs> apparently this author really hates giving head. They hate it, right? So they have the character gagging constantly, having to stop so they don't vomit. And then and then there's this, this whole paragraph. And I was so grossed out by that. I don't know why I kept reading. I was like, how far is she going to take this, right? So there's and, and th this character volunteered to give head. Oh, I want to I go down on you. That's what he says. I want to go down on you. And there's all this gagging and I've really sense of gag reflex with all this nearly vomiting. And I was like, oh my God. And then there's this whole paragraph about the taste of semen and how much he hates it and how gross it is and disgusting, but that it's the easiest way to deal with the mess. So he just kind of, you know, mans up and does it. And I was like, I'm just sitting there horrified, right? And then there's nothing hot about any of this, right? This blowjob was torture to read. And then the character who's giving the blowjob leans back and touches the other guy's thigh and goes, that was really hot. And I was like, uh-uh, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was not hot. <laughs> it was anti-hot. None of that was hot. It was actually probably the gross. You tortured yourself through this, you terrible masochist. You're not even a good masochist. I'm judging you. It was awful. It was awful. And I just was like... Okay, some people really do feel that way about giving head. I get it. I get it. But, but nobody wants that kind of reality. Yeah, and they don't repeatedly. And they don't volunteer it. They don't go, oh, I really want to go down on you. Why? And they also don't swallow. No. I know a friend actually who hates to give head so much that the only way she'll give head to her husband is if he wears a flavored condom. <laughs> well, She's got, she's got her limits. She, <laughs> he he married her. He must be good with it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's like nobody wants to read that. Honestly, nobody ever wants to read that. The, the, it was this relationship that was cruising along fine, and we get to the sex scene, and I was just like, "Ugh, that's." I, I remember this. In Stargate, where Rodney thinks John's in love with him, and they keep, from John's point of view, they keep accidentally having sex, and John keeps trying to tell him that they're not actually in a relationship, and that they're that they're he doesn't feel that way about him, and then everybody knows that they're in this relationship, right? And Rodney gets injured, and everybody knows that John's in love with Rodney, except John, until he gets injured. And then he realizes that, okay, um, 
we're in a relationship. And so eventually it gets to the point where they, they're going to have anal sex and they, um, <laughs> Ronnie says top or bottom and John says top. <laughs> Cause he's kind of freaked out. Right. Um, and they do, I think they do rock, paper, scissors and John loses. So he ends up on bottom. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, it is by Astolot. And, um, and I forget the title of it. If you could find it ring, I'd really appreciate it. Um, and um, just get going. John's like he, you know, there's so much lube involved that it doesn't really, it's not doing much for him. It doesn't hurt or anything. He's fine. And then Rodney finds his prostate, and John finds Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and so after everything is over, it, Rodney says, "So when you said talk, you meant from the bottom, right? Because John turns into this bossy ass, greedy bottom, like he's bossing the hell out of him. Okay, and um, John's like, fuck you or something. And, um, Rodney says, you know, what's funny. I didn't even know you were into me. And you'll, I can tell that first moment, that, 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 that first accidental sex scene. And John's like, that's not what was funny. <laughs> Cause John didn't even know he was gay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause John was in denial. They weren't accidentally having sex. Rodney kept initiating sex and John kept going along with it, you know, mostly blowjobs because who doesn't try, you know, who, who, who turns down the blowjob? But John was like, I'm not gay. I'm not gay. He was just in denial the whole time until Rodney found his prostate. Like, I guess I'm gay. Although, <laughs> I'm totally gay. Woman, but yeah, it, it was, it's a really good story. A woman can get all up on your prostate, though. It's, it's not actually all that hard to find. No. Um, that's the other thing. Is when, you know, all those bizarre things about the prostate. It's like, I can't reach it. Or, you know, we can't, what do you mean? It's not that far up there. <laughs> or they're squeezing of it. You reached up there and squeeze. Or they're pinching. It. You can't pinch the prostate. You cannot pinch the prostate. And it's not a nub or a button or anything else. Take, look, up, look up some anatomy images. But yeah. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a really good rant about how to write a sex scene. <laughs> or rather how not to write one. Honestly, short, short and sweet is better to me. You know, just if the emotion is there, you can gloss over most of the details. Please don't you don't have to you you bang it like a drum, but you don't have to tell single bang. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't typically like, I typically kind of feel a little cheated if they completely skip the penetration, like some illusion to it. Like, you know, when he finally slid in, it's like, okay, just some illusion that it finally happened. Right. Not just, oh, there's all this emotion. And then all of a sudden the scene's over and you're like, was that a dream sequence? Did they hold hands? <laughs> <laughs> Flowers bloomed. <laughs> I mean, just some discussion about some you can you can you can be vague you don't have to give like tons of specifics but short and sweet is great it can be really hot it can be it, that is to me always better than 5000 words of every single detail and every thrust and every little muscle clench it's like i'm so bored it doesn't yeah what i would say about um Astolot. Astolot has the best characterization for John Shepard in the Stargate fandom because he is um, basically walking around Atlantis with a Teflon coating. This is the way she describes it. He, um, yeah, he is um, emotional.
um, in denial about himself and everything around him. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But to wrap up our shenanigans this evening, we got lots of, I think, good ideas about how to get them to the meet. In question, is called Oblivious by Astolot, and we'll put it in the thank you ring. I appreciate you. Yeah, we got lots of ways to get the Tonys in the same space, and then and then I think it just, I think their chemistry is really good. Of course, yeah. I say that for somebody who likes to write it, so you know. Well, that's really, you finding the chemistry is the most important part. Right, because if you find you the chemistry, I've read I've read stories with unusual pairings where it's just I, I don't think the author sold the chemistry to me. I'm not sure they saw the chemistry. They were just I feel like sometimes people do things that are experimental, or they do it just for the sake of being original. Yeah, or trying or, yeah. to be original. We've talked about originality for its own sake is terrible, terrible thing. Um, but it's like when I wrote Century. I the reason I had actually since it was a rough trade project, I'd said my pairings were tentative because if I got to the point where I had to execute on those pairings and I wasn't feeling it, I wasn't going to write it. Right. Because why would I do that to myself? And then I got there and I went, oh yeah, I can do this. <laughs> Bang. You drop that hammer like Thor. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's been five years since we've had that joke. Let me have it. <laughs> <laughs> She gets it. She gets to have it. <laughs> I like the idea of exploring um, like in the middle of Iron Man before Tony gets sucked into this whole Avengers thing. Um, I like the idea of it, of it happening during Iron Man 3 um, and derailing that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one I don't see myself trying to insert Tony in is like, I mean, Domin is just like, you know, as a character. How I'd feel about Iron Man 2. I mean, it's difficult, right? Because because um, Tony's acting out. He's dying. S.H.I.E.L.D. is being a bastard. Um, they hold him hostage in his own house. They shut Jarvis off. I mean, there's just lots of things going on in that in that movie that make me want to just stab people. It's better for me. I can do it. I can do insertions after Iron Man two, but during is difficult. The only way I think it could work is if I've I've plotted like a background that I haven't actually implemented in any story yet, where they knew each other in boarding school for 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 a little mm -hmm. while, and that they had like a little falling out. Um, but if it still, I still I can't. If 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 Dom was going to reinsert himself into Tony's life, he would do it after Tony went missing. He wouldn't wait till Iron Man two until Tony's acting out. But if for some reason they had become friends and Tony starts acting weird, I just don't see Dom being able to be put off the way Pepper and Rhodey were about his behavior. I think if they were friends, he would know that something was wrong. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you? you get all and in his face. Additionally, if he's really good friends with Jarvis. I don't know if Jarvis would tattle or if Jarvis would turn to Dom for support. That's what you do when you have a friend. And if Tom, and if Dom is Jarvis's friend, his real friend, um, then he might turn to him and say, "You know, there's something wrong with Sir, and I can't talk about it, but I'm worried. I can't tell you what it is, but there's, I'm really worried." 
Because I don't think that Jarvis would betray Tony's confidence. If he was going to do that, he'd, um, he'd have done it during that time period. Yeah. It could be... Oh, God, what if there's a moment where Dom comes to see him and say, I know something's wrong with you. You're being weird. And so you just might, I'm just going to sit here in your face until you tell me what's going on. And what if Tony says, I want you to know that if anything happens to me, I'm leaving Jarvis and the kids to you. Dom would be like, you're dying. You motherfucker. <laughs> but I think, I think if they were friends, I think that's, and, and, and if Tony felt like the one person in his life who understood that could be like a friends to lovers thing, right? If Tony was the one, if Dom was the one person in his life who really got Jarvis and got the bots and appreciated them for what they were, I think he absolutely would have it in his will that Jarvis and the bots went to Dom. I think he would have a path for to make sure that they were taken care of and not just taken offline or used for some nefarious purpose. Yeah, fuck you, I'm calling a doctor. You know, honestly, at that point, it would be a good moment for somebody to pull Bruce Banner out of their pocket. Right? Now, you're about to have Nick Fury's... Oh! Because Nick Fury's big week centered around... And it culminated in Harlem. But what if... What if Dom had... Brad, knew, what if Dom knew Bruce? Brad Pitt is an infectious disease doctor. He's not going to be able to help Tony Stark... In Iron Man 2. With his heavy metal poisoning. God knows Bruce potentially, but I think it it, it would be a short, shorter shorter path if if Dom knows Bruce directly, which he or could. we could go back to the comic origins um, to the fact that Tony Stark met Bruce Banner when Bruce Banner was a student. Insert a little bit of comic history there. Yeah. And he could be looking for Bruce, right? When he starts coming out with the palladium poisoning, he could be looking for Bruce. He's looking for Bruce, but he finds Betty Ross instead. Yeah. And maybe she comes to California. Um, and she, Tony helps her bring Bruce in out, um, out of the cold. He's like, you saved my life, Dr. Dr. Betty. You want your man? We'll go get your man. <laughs> Jarvis, find Bruce Banner. <laughs> yep. I think, you know, especially like if you're, um, if you're, depending on what you're writing, um, you don't want to introduce a lot of extraneous characters to a situation because it just adds to your burden, um, your narrative burden. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that if Tony Stark is at all familiar with Bruce Banner's work, then he knows who Betty Ross is. And could tailor Betty Ross's specialty in education to the point where he realizes that he doesn't need Bruce as much as he needs Betty. And that Betty helps him come up with a solution for his poisoning. And that keeps S.H.I.E.L.D. and the whole mess back from Tony. So he doesn't owe them a damn thing. So when they come knocking on his door for the Avengers, he doesn't. Fuck you. I don't know that Betty would go chasing after Bruce because there, uh, there comes a point when she has to stop. But it would be really nice if like Tony Stark knocked on his door and said, hey, dude, um, me and my guy have got your girl in New York and um, you're being a dick. <laughs> 
point that you're being a dick. Just so you know. And then he leaves. And, you know, Bruce can come along later. Tail tucked between his legs. So I heard I was a dick. <laughs> She's like, you are a dick. But it would be nice to bring Betty Ross in. You know, yeah. that um, maybe when the, the platinum poison first starts, he's like figuring kind of figure out a solution. And um, Jarvis says, maybe we need to bring somebody in. And he's like, well, you know, who can we? And they start looking it up. And Bruce comes to mind. And um, then they hit on bed. They hit on the idea of Betty Ross. And he invites her to California. And she goes because she's curious. And he tells her his circumstances. And she figures it out. There's no saying that she didn't figure it out originally. You don't know where she'll got that cure. For all you know, Betty Ross did do it. Well, it wasn't really a cure. It just helped the symptoms. The cure was the new element. They still have to invent right. the new element. But she could be the one who comes up with the lithium thing that manages his symptoms. Yeah. Until he can figure out and how help to him get the, the, the poison out of his body, too. Now, if I wasn't a diehard Bruce shipper and you didn't already have Dom on the thing, this is where Betty Ross and Tony Stark would hook up. Because <laughs> <laughs> Betty Ross deserves all the things. Yes, she does. But she and deserves. Tony Stark could get her all the things. He could. She's in love with Bruce, and it's she, okay. She gets her Brucey. That's what she gets. And and that's part of our mission is to make sure she gets her Bruce. Before he gets fucked over. Yeah. And he destroys Harlem. Or after, you know. But preferably before. So when does um, that take place? Right after Iron Man 2. That's part of Nick Fury's big week. Begins with the end of Iron Man 2. And Thor is in there. And then Bruce destroys Harlem. It's all in the same week. Oh, so yeah, we could prevent that too. But, or that maybe when the abomination gets let loose... It's Iron Man and Hulk that show up to deal with it, and Ross can't cover it up. Oh, yeah. Well, if Tony Stark thinks that this Hulk guy is okay, why do you think he's a problem? Iron Man and the Hulk save Harlem. All over the New York Times front page. Are you lying to us, General Ross? Mr. Mr. Bolt. There's a picture of Iron Man and the Hulk exchanging a fist bump. A very gentle one. <laughs> very gentle. <laughs> In the meantime, Dom says, I'll just stay here with Betty. You guys go save Harlem. <laughs> I get some popcorn. Hey, Jarvis, can you feed us the, the feed from his helmet so we can watch? <laughs> In case I get in trouble. It could be their very own peanut gallery. You guys are so reckless. Watch out for that guy. Would you stop side seat fighting? <laughs> oh my God, Bruce, you just stepped on the limited edition Maserati. <laughs> <laughs> That's a collectible, Bruce. <laughs> Hulk not care. <laughs> Picks up car, throws it, <laughs> throws it at the abomination. <laughs> We can find crack anywhere. It's a gift. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
there's so many ways to get those two together in so many different parts in the canon. I mean, it just... And the earlier you get Dom on scene, the less bullshit she will be able to get away with when it comes to Tony Stark. Because Pepper was never his ally in that. No, no. I think she actively appreciated S.H.I.E.L.D., honestly. Because they tried to keep Tony in his place, in his lane, and she in had, check. And she definitely had perceptions about what she thought Tony's lane was. So, yeah. And also, I think that if he has somebody there to, to listen to him and to pay attention to him, and to, um, that he'd be less likely to do the things that he does that get some negative attention. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think Tony shows his ass because um, he feels underappreciated and misunderstood. And um, well, and the more people try to rein him in, the more he I think he's likely to show his ass. Mm-hmm. But if he has somebody who's in his corner supporting him and saying, hey, go kick their ass. But don't talk to the cops or the press or <laughs> don't tell the Senate to kiss your ass. <laughs> tell them to kiss my ass. <laughs> so the right ass is getting kissed here. Yeah, if he kind of like, you know, helps with Tony's sharp edges without trying to rein him in. Um, I think that could be really good for Tony. Actually, I think they work really well together for that reason. I think this is totally when Dom establishes the Dick and Bob department. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think Pepper gets the first phone call. If anybody in the Vulcan Embassy has a Dick and Bob department, it's definitely Sarek. One of the Vulcan... Yeah, and there could be degrees of Bobs, right? Like, you know... The Vulcan Bob is called. It's like, oh, no, we can't be having none of that. We don't want any. If we had the phone call from the Vulcan Bob, we're going to get a phone call from the Klingon dick. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a dick or are you a Bob? And no one wants to have the phone call from the Klingon dick. We need to come up with emojis that represent Dick and Bob so we can have Dick and Bob rolls on the server. I agree. I agree. This needs to be a thing. You can self-identify. I'm totally Bob. I'm totally Bob. Kira's a dick. No, a very long a year ago, we had this cast where I'm not sure how it started, but we decided that uh, Tony Stark had a department dedicated to, because he was too busy to tell people to fuck off himself, that when someone irritated him, he would pass that irritation down to the Dick and Bob department and everybody in the employee um, in, in, in this department is called Bob and Dick runs the Bobs. And so if a Bob like got an assignment to call somebody to cuss them out on behalf of Tony Stark, so they would they would call. And if like if it got escalated, it would go to Dick. Right. So if you if you don't listen to the Bob, you go to it, your call goes to Dick. And we we modeled it on how I don't know if you've ever gotten a call from like a bill collector or like they'll tell you like you'll get a call from like three different people and they all tell you the name is Iris. And the idea is that you call and you ask for Iris and they know you're wanting to talk to collections. <laughs> Not that I have any experience with that. But anyway, um, so we thought, yeah, so it'd be like that. Like everybody in the department kind of, you know, their their 
they don't tell nobody knows who's in the dick and bob department but everybody wants to work as a bob and like you don't ignore a call you from bob you don't ignore you don't a call from bob call. yeah <laughs> like sen like senators will like they'll, they'll do a break of their session so that they can go and because a bob Talk is called bob. And somebody goes you can't leave right now he goes i've got a call from a bob and they're like yeah you better go we don't need dick calling <laughs> Because everybody knows you don't want to be yelling at out. So, and then we got, it just turned to this total utter crack fest about us, Dick and Bob department. We were in hysterics. And we talked about. Um, and then like at one point, Clint Barton left S.H.I.E.L.D. to come to work to Stark Industries specifically to be a Bob. Right. And Darcy became, <laughs> a, and Darcy became a Bob. And um, when they needed to curse out Odin. It was Darcy who took that task, and she went sit up. On, she went sit up on the roof. Darcy's actually Dick. Oh yeah, she's Dick, and so she screams at Odin for like you know hours every day because you know she's cursing out because Tom put out a request for the Bob's of Dicks to curse out Odin. Anyway, it was just it was. This is sometimes this is the way the show. Goes. <laughs> so Dick and Bob, if it didn't remember what show the Dick and Bob thing was in. Jarvis is the chief dick. Dick 69. Yeah, that's right. Dick 69. I don't remember. It is in one recorded podcast, though. It's towards the end. Um, it's oh, like the last, last year. Yeah, but it's yeah, definitely last year. It's um, it was like in the last 45 minutes. But I just... Was it Feud and versus Canada Divergent? Really? Oh, hour two. Margaret even knows the hour. There you go. Fusion versus Canada Divergence, hour two. You called for a dick. <laughs> there's, 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 <laughs> there's the chief minion dick, Cinedick minion. But yeah, but that podcast went off the rails. But I think the podcast that went the most off the rails of all the ones we've ever done is the one where we tried to have John Shepard time travel, and it turned into Squeaky Wheel John because <laughs> John decided that the best way to handle. Marshall Sumner was to become Marshall Sumner's right-hand man. So he digs in deep and becomes Marshall Sumner's right-hand. Right there, BFF, going to be your bromance. Going to get all in this. And so he starts reading mission reports. We don't discuss that. <laughs> that didn't happen, Bobby. It didn't happen. Sir, I've been reading. I've been. I, I sent you an email, sir. And it was like we went. We spent like a whole hour and a half just saying, sir. I was reading mission reports, <laughs> and it gets to the point where Marshall Sumner starts to twitch when someone calls him sir. <laughs> John comes to the store. He's like, just handle it. Just handle it, Major. I don't care. Do whatever the hell you want. Just please stop coming to my office, <laughs> sir. But the turducken. <laughs> that went off the rails really early. That was. Uh, I'm not even sure that that didn't go off the rails. That that left the planet. <laughs> right. Somebody referred to it was it was Emmy. M Emmy. It was Emmy who said. Um, uh, she called the Asgard. She called the Asgard the the beam. beam. And it's just like it's like everybody's everybody's brain stopped <laughs> while we pondered turducken beam. How she got there. <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of those moments in fandom where you're like, something pops in your brain, you're stuck with it. Like, I will forever call um, that Tokra chick that, that gives them the 
the the ramped up bracelets on SG one. I will forever call her Seven of Tokra. <laughs> I don't even Anise is that her name? Anise Seven of Tokra. Because the first time I saw her, she pops out of the gate in this form fitting sexy outfit. And I'll, oh look, Seven of Tokra, and then th- that 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 was it. That that's it. And I will never be able to watch that episode where where where. Caldwell gets snaked without thinking of the turducken beam ever. Emmy ruined us. She did. She ruined us. The turducken beam. I'm not sure I can ever watch an episode with Marshall Sumner in it, which is like only that one or two. Sir. Without hearing Kira's voice going, Sir. Sir. <laughs> it's just. But my husband is the first one who ruined something for Stargate for me because he called Apophis. Poppy Grande. Right, you've ruined all of us. Right, that for all of us. He's ruined all of us because you've shared that and now I can't think of a Poppy without thinking of Poppy Grande. <laughs> Just, but in that episode with Seven of Tokra, there's also a scene where SG-1 jets out of the um, the Stargate and mows down a whole bunch of Jafal because they're going super fast. He calls that scene bowling for Jafal. <laughs> Oh my god. So between the two of us, we ruined that episode for each other. Poppy Grande. The other episode... But you know, conversely, we were both really upset when Poppy Grande died. (laughs) He was our favorite gold. (laughs) Yeah, he was way better than... He went out like a boss. They they had to throw throw him at a planet (laughs) to get rid of him. The other episode that went kind of off the rails towards the end was when we talked about it was in the time travel and contemporary fandoms with the Little League Seer team at the end. Oh, yes. That went a little cuckoo, too. No, I mean, sometimes we go off topic, right? You know, because we're having a conversation. It didn't like we had, you know, planned this out in advance. But other times we just go completely off the rails to the point where I wonder if I need to make new art. Well, the Little League Seer team, to be fair, was on topic. <laughs> it was. It was totally on topic. It just kind of dominated. And you did, but you did make art, new art for the Turducken beam. I had to, because th- there was no going back from that. You had to warn people that there was a Turducken beam. The Turducken, would you call it John Shepard something in the Turducken? You know, it was Tony Denozo Tony and, and the Turducken beam, I believe is what it was called. Yeah, it's just, but it wasn't what it was originally called. I mean, there was there was no going back from that. Yeah, she changed the title of the podcast once the Turducken became a part of it. John, I need you to dollar. <laughs> Atlantis, right? So when we had Atlantis telling John what to do, I need you to dollar. <laughs> I have questions. We all have questions. Oh, I just actually bunnied myself. Oh no. What did you do? What if Atlantis dialed Earth? Did what? Before they even started looking for Atlantis, Atlantis started looking for them. What if she dials Earth and asks for a specific group of people? Says, I need to speak with and then she like lists a 
whoever you want to list. Like it could be John Shepard, Rodney McKay, um, Miko Kusanagi, um, Tony Donozo, whoever you want. And they're all like, Daniel? <laughs> I'm like, why are you blaming? You are the one that ascended. <laughs> I feel like the, somehow this is your fault. I mean, like, if, 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 let's say that you could do a time travel with like Atlantis's consciousness, right? And mm -hmm. um, if she goes back, yeah, she could dial Earth and she could say, I need these people. And they'd be all like, whoa. And they, how do you tell me? There's a, there's a Stargate from Pegasus dialing us, and she says that she's Atlantis. There's a sentient, sapient city in another galaxy that is asking for you. We're having a total Jack Reacher moment here. <sighs> I mean, Rodney would be like, okay, let me get my bag. But John has no idea what the Stargate program is at this point, right? He gets, a, I mean, he gets like called into a tent at this point. Maybe this is even before his black mark. I probably would write it before his black mark. Um, and um, he says, um, I'm going to sort you. I'm gonna, you're going to be sorted to Colorado. Um, there's a general Colorado who wants to have a conversation with you. His name is George Hammond. Do you know who George Hammond is? And John would be like, no. <laughs> I'll just go pack my truck, shall I? <laughs> so he gets to you know, he gets to Colorado and they brief him and he's like, So so um this is all really interesting. I'm looking forward to the spaceships. Um, where do I sign up and why have you called me? Oh, because some sentient city, sapient city even, in it in Pegasus, um asked for you by name. Do you know why? Don't got the first fucking clue. And Tony, on Tony's side, they go, Agent Denozo, you've been, he'd be pretty new, he'd be new to, basically, fair, fairly new, not quite new, but fairly new to the NCIS. Agent Denozo, you being stationed in uh, Cheyenne Mountain. He's like, NCIS doesn't have any jurisdiction in NORAD. Well, that doesn't seem to matter much. Your orders have been cut. Cut by who? The president. I guess I'm not declining. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Also, the episode that went off the rails. I like we, skiing. Skiing, skiing. <laughs> Tony does like skiing. The episode that went off the rails, I had to look at what the original title was. We had some very pretty art called Tony Leaves After Boxed In. It had a unicorn on it. And uh, yeah, so Tony Leaves After Boxed In was, was the one that changed to Tony Boxed In and the Turducken theme. Yeah. Yeah. And the Turducken. You don't know how long I looked at Turducken images before I decided no. That's just not something I can put on my podcast. You just you just can't share some things. It's just you know, honestly, I looked at so many pictures of Turducken that I would not eat it on a bet. It stopped looking like real food and started looking like something I might see on Hannibal. <laughs> some of those Turducken images were just appalling. <laughs> I don't even think Hannibal would eat that. It doesn't look good. Actually, I don't see I can, Hannibal making it. I don't see Hannibal making it either. I think he would find it crass. I think it, it is so inelegant looking that there's no way in hell he'd make it. His food is beautiful. So, and a turducken just as ugly. I mean, it might be complicated, but it doesn't make it. Bah. Unless that turducken was actually, a, you know, field kabuki, it wouldn't actually be for eating. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can imagine him making a turducken for field kabuki. 
not that he would eat it, but it would be like, you know, we will be, oh, look, it, it's a the turducken has a, a person and a pig. The turducken has a whole a noble history. I hope it wasn't called a turducken when it was knighted. <laughs> <laughs> Probably because it was expensive to make, I assume. Um, but um, I it isn't expensive to make today. But I do think it'd be really funny if he made a turducken out of a body or two. Yeah. Stuff a person in a person in a pig or something like that. Or and the will was like, "Oh, look, it's a turducken," and they're all looking at him like, "What?" It's like a it's like a turducken. <laughs> well, you need to really not get in the head of these killers anymore. It's not doing anything for you. <laughs> Hannah was off to the side, looking disgruntled that he called his art a, tur- a turducken. Is that the actual formal name of the um, dish, or is that just like the really crass? Really? See, that's just a really terrible and elegant, ugly name. <clears throat> it's just a strange thing to Google. Is it really called a dark turducken? Dark saying a tin bird roast. Well, that's more than a turducken because there's not tin birds in that. Three bird roast. Outside of the United States and Canada, it is called a three bird roast. The word turducken is a portmanteau of turkey, duck, and chicken. Duh. Yeah, I don't see a cannibal ever, ever uttering the word turducken. Even if he did a three bird roast, he would not call it a turducken. So if he did a, th- so if he did a three pig roast, right? And Will <laughs> shows up at the scene and goes, "Oh, it's a turducken." Hannibal would be so offended. <laughs> Look how dare you! <laughs> he would be. He'd be mortified. <laughs> He'd be like, why would you well like like I, I wasn't raised in I was raised in New Orleans, you know, I'm a street kid. It's it's a turducken, that's what we call it. Three pigs inside a wolf I don't think three pigs would fit in a wolf. Depends on the size of also, the Also, I don't pig. think I don't think Hannibal would actually kill a, a wolf. That seems crass. I know, I know he eats people, but I think he has standards. I don't think he abuses animals or kill our children. <laughs> The wolf is a lawyer. <laughs> so goose, duck, pigeon, pheasant. I love the word woodcock. It appeals to me. Guinea hen. Whatever. Oh. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to yourself? You hate that. She said no, She said earlier in, the, in our private chat that she was going to watch it because we were going to um, write it. Oh, lordy. But um, don't make yourself. I, I think it'd be really interesting to have all these people gathered because Atlantis requested them, and they would be like, "Well, why'd you request us, Rodney? Stop asking the nice lady questions before she throws us off the city." <laughs> There's no cannibalism in in the story I wrote for Christmas, The Fourth Want. I think that you would like that, though, if you want to try to read Hannibal. I would read that one. I mean, there's no overt cannibalism in mine. Well, I know you, you're not into self-torture. I also know that you would stop if you were not enjoying it. So. Um. But I have to tell you, this is just a weird thing. So this is, we already went off topic with the traducan beam, but I'm going to go further off topic. So I was reading, there's a couple of common 
occupations for Peter Hale and Teen Wolf stories. And so whenever I read story where he's a lawyer, lawyer and accountant. No. Lawyer, lawyer, yes, but not accountant. I've seen accountant a couple times. It doesn't quite resonate the same way. So I see people write him and then he's a lawyer. And I go, yeah, the other one is fashion designer. And I go, yeah, that fits. And I have the same exact reaction to both of them. Yeah, that fits. So it couldn't be, <laughs> they couldn't be any more different lawyer, fashion designer. But they're two very common ones. Somehow he's into clothes, whether he's a fashion designer or he makes clothes or whatever. So I read them like a lawyer, fashion designer. I have the same exact reaction to both of them. Yeah, that works. <laughs> I mean, Good I man. He, they do they do that whole um, left hand thing, but I don't really consider that an occupation. Well, well. <laughs> for some people, it is true. I do like the left hand trope. I like it a lot. What, what is what is the left hand trope? The right hand is like the second, the person who's the face of the pack and helps the, the direct assistant um, of the, the directly behind the alpha. And then the left hand is the enforcer of the pack, deals with threats quietly, does the dirty things that the alpha can't do publicly. I mean, it's a very good trope for Peter. The thing, I, what I don't like in the trope is when he's ostracized from the pack because of the role the pack has put him in. I find that really kind of objectionable. Ah, I mean, yeah, if, if you're going to ask him to do the dirty work, then you need to accept that he does the dirty work. Right. And don't judge him for it. So I could see that it could kind of put him a little bit separate from the pack anyway because he does do the dirty work. But the fact that the pack actively ostracizes him for it is I find to be really objectionable expression of that trope is that he's alienated from the pack because of his work as the left hand. Um, well, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of canon information about either one of them. We're just can infer a lot about Talia and Laura and it doesn't look good for either one of them, honestly, based upon what the information we do have. So also, I have a working theory these days that part of Peter's mental instability, well, there are multiple things between the pain, the reliving, the death of his pack for that six years, the pain he was in, and the lack of pack contact all contributed to his insanity, plus the issue with his missing memories that Talia took. So I'm actually working on that in a something right now where he has an issue. And Alpha has the ability to take memories from their pack? Yeah. She took, the, she took the memories of his daughter. What the actual fuck? Right? So, I ha yeah, they could put their claws in the back of their neck and, take, and read their mind and then take those memories away. So she did. And, so, and, and the memories stay stored in her claws. It's a very weird little bit of world building they did with that. Um, and for some reason, even though Talia died in the fire someone took her claws and put them in a box which is really gross but anyway um but super I, gross and is, i don't dig that concept at all that's just really right ugh. so it's my headcanon now that part of peter's mental instability was you put him in a situation that was going to tax him mentally that those missing memories and what talia did to him is part of why he went crazy I've never had a story I've written where it was in any way reasonable for the missing memories to come up. So that's why I haven't had to do anything with that before. But it's always bothered me that she took his memories of his daughter. 
But that I think that I think that was just shitty writing. It was a bad plot device because they suddenly made Peter old enough to have a daughter who was almost the same age as the kids in the show, and which means they had to make Peter older. And there had been no mention of him having a daughter, so they had to make it so he didn't know about it. And so, and so then they have his own sister, his own Alpha, took those memories from him. It's just, it's just, mm. but yeah, it's now part of my head canon that the that. It it was it set the foundation for Peter to go absolutely crazy when he was in that coma, and Laura Laura just put the nail in the coffin with abandoning him there. So I'm just I'm I'm disgusted. Yeah, it's gross. It well, Susan, I'm flattered that you would read mine when it's not something that you normally read. Um, what was the oh you guys reason? hair love one um. The Oscar for animated short. Really, awesome. that's so cool. Yeah. Um, the reason that they took the memories was, I believe, to protect the daughter um, from the daughter. The mother, mother, the mother wanted to kill the daughter um, to take her power, and Talia supposedly, I think, was protecting the location and even the existence of the daughter by making sure no one, no one knew where she was including her own father. So I, I didn't really get the impression Peter had a lot of choice in all of that, but he may have had more choice. They were so inconsistent with what they did with Peter towards the later seasons, you know, with all of a sudden him going wackadoo and working with the woman who had killed his whole family, you know, but whatever. The fanon is way better than the canon. Although some of the fanon is also fucking weird. <laughs> There's always that one element of any fandom you go into this, like, um, you know that scene in The Lion King when um, Mufasa is telling Simba about, you know, that you that you'll one day be king of all the things that the sun touches, and when <laughs> that's where the hyenas are, that 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 dark spot, <laughs> every fandom has one, right? And Simba will never be king of it. <laughs> well. Teen Wolf was a lot like Harry Potter in in the sense that they made choices for plot convenience that said really bad things about the other people. So you see that with the way the adults are so have take no responsibility. They don't adult. They don't do anything about Harry's life. So all of these things that are done so Harry can have adventures make the adults in the Wizarding World look awful. But the same thing happens in Teen Wolf with all these little, you know, plot choices they've made for the convenience of being able to have, you know, secret baby and um, to be able to get, you know, pull Peter in and out of the show when they wanted or, you know, just all they did all these things for this plot convenience that said really bad things about people like Talia and Laura and, um, you know, even Mel and sometimes even the sheriff too. So it's just really annoying when they do, um, a plot device like that that really messes up somebody's characterization inadvertently it's like were you guys even thinking about what that meant for laura that she put her uncle in a hospital under his legal name and then left him there she was his alpha at that point and she just left for the other side of the country where nobody could reach her and nobody could find her and hid and left him under his legal name with hunters out there who were looking to kill hales it was like she was culling a wounded gazelle. Mm. Looks like she left him as bait. It's it does looks. look like she left him as bait. 
which is why I don't actually. So when I see stories that really fixate on Peter killed Laura, I'm like, what do you fucking do? She's a shitty alpha. He had every right to kind of go after her for what she did to him. And that's my feeling. If now she hadn't been an alpha, I don't. I think I could have been like, yeah, she she made a bad choice, but she was the alpha. She had a responsibility to him, and I think that he had the right to. I think that life in a wolf pack would actually be potentially pretty harsh in terms of pack justice. So someone is comparing in the chat room, Scott and Weasley. And so that they think is Scott is Scott is worse. And I agree. Scott is worse than Ron Weasley because Scott has more personal power in his canon than Ron Weasley ever will. And he uses it to the detriment of everyone around him. Well, in the actual canon of Scott negotiating to let, like, really bad people go if they'll leave town. And more importantly, there's that whole part where he basically facilitated uh, the rape of Derek Hale. Yeah, that bite rape thing is just so disgusting. And the thing is, he was so self-righteous about killing people, and yet he was planning to kill Peter for his own benefit. And he basically was ensuring that his actions led to Gerard's death. So he clearly was willing to kill for his own benefit, to protect his mom, protect himself. But then he was so self-righteous about anybody else having to kill in self-defense. But the idea of letting someone go who's killed or done violent things, if you can go if you agree to leave town. Oh, so, and you know, I wouldn't want to be in the town next to Beacon Hills where they send all of their shitty killers that they don't want to deal with. Well, there's something I said in um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is that a good man does for others, does for society what society cannot do for itself. Scott McCall is not a good man. No. He comes across as moral, but I mean, the, the, the alpha power is just, was, was, was a bad, bad thing with a character like that. It just wasn't, they just, they just fucked up. And then you don't turn him into werewolf Jesus because that's the right call. Right. And honestly, I really do believe if there was going to be somebody who could just spontaneously become an alpha, I think it would have to be a born wolf, not a bitten one, who had never really been part of a pack. It's just it doesn't make any sense. It's just because it seems like here. that a spontaneous alpha would emerge due to loyalty. Like within a pack, that the pack starts to shift loyalty onto a different member versus the current because of bad behavior or lack of trust, or that some that a werewolf could gather other betas around them, and because of that beta loyalty, they emerge as an alpha. Yeah, I think you could do that. Is like if you have like if you have a lack of an alpha, um that if there's enough werewolves together calling each other pack that one of them could become alpha that like their bond to each other like causes a spark to come into existence um but just the idea of just this because scott never had been loyal to anybody he hasn't um been in really been in a pack he had denied Derek every step of the way um and then all of a sudden he's an alpha and it's just like why how based on what his moral fiber are you kidding me <laughs> he's so moral he's gonna let the bad guys go to go kill the children in the next town 
because he doesn't kill, you know. And who cares about those kids? Right. Just was I would like somebody to come and just drop a newspaper on top of him. Hey, look, this guy you made leave town, he killed a whole bunch of people. Scott. He killed 10 people, Scott. You care? Do you care? <laughs> so that's great. I mean, I'm useful as more more fiber than Scott. But yeah, I mean, because there's never any consequences for him that way, right? He never has to face the consequences of his decision. Well, I mean, like he decision. let Gerard, he let Gerard go. And uh, Gerard comes back at the very end to try to kill everyone. So, you know, I mean, Scott didn't die or anything, but. Unfortunately. O other people did. I mean, the the more you hear about Scott, the more you, you just want to know why someone didn't just slap Peter across the face and say, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Do that again because I deserve it. <laughs> like, he had to be crazy. That's really the only answer. I was, I was no, it's like, no, turn over. I'm specking your ass. Get on my knee. <laughs> I was crazy at the time. I was crazy at the time. <laughs> but I'll take that spanking regardless. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Senna. I'm glad you liked that. I really appreciated it. I like anytime Scott's get judgment though. Just and you know, I also really like the fact that you made him choose to remain a werewolf. Yeah, it really bothers me how beleaguered he always acts about this thing that's basically fixed his life. It's like, oh, you right thing. Really, he only cares because he's interfering with his ability to get laid. Hopes that he should have been punished by, you know, getting it taken away from him. You know, because that, okay, you know what? I'm going to reward you by taking this away from you. You don't want to be a werewolf, Scott, remember? Make sure you're to fill your prescription at the pharmacy, though, because you're going to need that inhaler. Yeah, and I I had bad asthma when I was a teenager. I was one of those kids who couldn't go anywhere without their inhaler, who had asthma attacks in gym class. There's no way that someone thinks that is better than being a werewolf. There's no way. I still have an I mean, I still have. I mean, I have asthma. Um, I have adult onset asthma. Um, I never. I I am never more than three feet from an inhaler. Bitch, bite me. <laughs> Turn me into a werewolf. What? <laughs> and you got instantly fit overnight without working for it. You little asshole. <laughs> right. You can eat anything you want. Instant healing. When you guys have your inexplicable babies, there's no stretch marks. So that's actually one of the things I just laugh my ass off over is whenever I see a pregnant werewolf with stretch marks, I go, come on. What in the world's the point of instant healing if you don't give them if you're gonna give them stretch marks? Stop it. That doesn't make any sense. That's just that's just a really stupid detail to add to somebody who heals. Right. I mean, you know, you gotta weigh the pros and cons, right? And what's the downside of being a werewolf? In the in hunters are the downside, right? In Teen Wolf universe, now I wouldn't want to be a Harry Potter werewolf. No, no, no. Because no. aside from the fact that it's you know it being everybody hates you, um, the the rampant bigotry, um, it's painful. Right. It looks really really unfortunate. But here's the thing: I don't know why werewolves fear hunters, but hunters don't fear werewolves. I feel like if I turned into a werewolf in the Teen Wolf um, um world, I would make some changes.
Oh yeah, I'd be all up on the sniper rifles. I'd be like, they can use rifles, so can I. Well, that's why in Duty of the Living, I had when the Alpha Pack was being a problem. Um, Styles got on the phone with Chris and said, "Do your fucking job." And you know, it's just a mention, right? That you know, Chris Chris's mentality of werewolves on werewolves was werewolf problems. But Styles called and gave him hell, and Chris took out like two of the alphas with a sniper rifle. I'm doing your fucking job, as you do. <clears throat> Humans do suck, though. Yeah. So the problem... In Teen Wolf, the only reason not to be a werewolf... I mean, you have to learn control, but once you do, you know, you have to get used to your new super suit, and then you're fine. Um, the only problem is hunters. But you just need a slightly smarter werewolf who can be a little bit proactive, you know. And you get... You get, you get, the, spirited. You get the freaking sheriff on side, and he and his deputies are constantly arresting these guys, checking their weapons permits. They're not going to want to come to Beacon Hills. Beacon Hills is how you get a record. Yeah. AOI says that it should be everyone's first question. Is this a teen wolf or a Harry Potter werebite? Because that's really Because I, you know. I mean, I'm not interested in being the werewolf in London. No. <laughs> or are we in Twilight? American or otherwise. Right. Or if this is Twilight, I just need to fuck right off because I don't want to have anything to do with any of it. I'd want to be a full shift werewolf. I'd be like, who who knows how to do that? How do I learn? Because clearly it can be learned. Because Derek didn't know how to do it all along. He learned it. And he learned it as a beta. So I'd be like, somebody teach me how to turn into an actual wolf. Because I want to that. That's what I want. I don't want to be this weird thing with no eyebrows. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm willing to be both. If, if, if I can eat cheesecake every day. <laughs> Right? Because cheesecake. I don't even like my eyebrows that much. I'd be more like a, that. There's that story in, um, there's a Teen Wolf story where Styles becomes a weird werewolf, right? He, has, he finally wants to become a werewolf. And they keep expecting him to act out, to be violent and aggressive. And he doesn't. So they finally let him out of his, you know, chains. And they take him outside. And this bunny runs past. He's like, oh, bunny. And they're all looking at him. Don't you want to chase it? And he's like, for what? <laughs> you know, like prey. He goes, oh, you mean to eat? Crows. No. <laughs> And it's just like the whole point of it is Styles of the world. It's just like Styles, right? <laughs> he doesn't change. I thought it was it was really charming. It was just a very short story, but it was it was really cute. You know, one of the most charming stories I ever read in Teen Wolf is where Styles is a wear bunny. I wear hair. It's wear hair. Bizarre. Yeah, and he moves into a little house next door to Derek, who um is a werewolf. And um, he's out in his backyard digging his little his little rabbit home, and he digs too far, and he ends up in Derek's yard, and gets a face full. And he runs away and gets eyes in his house, and then eventually he makes friends um, with Derek. There's a side plot with Laura and Peter, but um, mostly it's about Derek accidentally falling in love with the were-rabbit next door. <laughs> I need to find... I need to wear the, read this. I haven't, have not read this. And his mom was a were-rabbit, and so he built his little warren in his backyard. Um, 
he didn't know he bought a house next door to a werewolf. There's actually an index tag called Wear Bunny Styles to Lindsay. <laughs> I've only ever read one, and I'm sorry, I don't know the title, but. Looking to see if it's actually tagged that because. So I've got this one that says Derek becomes obsessed with the scent of another shifter on Hale Pack land. He vows to keep the shifter out at all costs until he actually sees him. Meanwhile, Styles is annoyed. Someone keeps putting up keep out signs in his favorite place to eat. No, this one is where they're, they're living in little houses side by side. So, and Styles moves in next door and finds out after the fact that he's moved in next door to a werewolf. Because he digs under Derek's fence accidentally building his warren and, um, Gets a face full of okay. There's, is this it? There's a solid wooden fence around in the backyard, a moderately sized flat piece of square land. Instead of grass, a flagstone path winds in between tangled gardens. Knockout yeah. roses, towering cape myrtles, foxglove, bluebeard, hydrangea. Yes. Is that it? Yes, the yard because, the, because the description was so lovely. I was like, I have to read this. <laughs> the yard is fantastic. It's wonderful. He can't can't wait to strip out of his skin and make a burrow. Or Styles is a wear bunny, and Derek is his grumpy neighbor. Yeah, that, that that's it. What's it called? It's called Something There Is by Scoozy Pants. Scoozy Pants. Love Scoozy Pants. I should remember that, but I have the memory skills of a As very said. agitated firefly. I have slept at least once since then. <laughs> scoozy pants. I might have actually read it because of the summary, but also because it's scoozy pants. And there's not much I won't read about scoozy pants. Um, yeah, it's sort of like there's some authors you just go, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. Well, although I have you some... doing it? Okay, click. <laughs> I mean, I have some hard stop pairings, you know. But, but if I was going to write a Tony and a Dom. And I am tempted by it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd want to do pre-Avengers, I think, as well. Yeah, it's I mean, it's appealing to, to, to think about Iron Man 3 and all the crap that goes on in Iron Man 3. But if you come at it earlier, you can prevent most of Iron Man 3 from happening. Yeah. Or they, I mean, you could even have them meet during the Avengers. Um, yeah. I like the idea of preventing the Pepper relationship. I think that's the only way I can actually keep from bashing her. Yeah. Which would mean you'd have to get it before the end of Iron Man 2. But I think it's a great I think it's a great pairing. I just think you have to embrace a name change. Now, someone told me at one point that you should change the name of Tony Stark. I actually find that to be I can't do it. I tried. I tried coming up with another name for Tony Stark. It didn't work. I mean his name is Anthony Edward Stark. But I couldn't call him Edward or Eddie on a bet. Mm. Also, I mean honestly if they're both coming into the relationship as Tony's and if one of them's gonna give up their name, it's just really hard to do with the person who uh, you know like probably a few billion people would recognize on site. Right. You know, it's just, it's just harder. So, um, and for me, I guess it was easier with, with Dinozo because um, I already had the practice of changing his name to Alex. So I was like, yeah, it's just, it didn't bother me at all, but I know it really throws some people like they can't deal with Tony's name being different. But like, I well, just, if you, I, I think if you have a problem with his name being different, just consider him like an original character and move on with your life. Yeah, 
Although I think if you really want to want to write want to want to do the pairing in a way that now I kept them both Tonys in Century, but they're not in a relationship together. So, you know, and they they were they think of each other, and since the only POV character is um, I don't believe Tony Stark because Tony Stark's not a POV character in that. So, if somebody's being referred to as Tony in the narrative, um, it's Denozo because Tony Denozo refers to Stark as Stark. And now, in Steve's point of view, who's my other POV character, he refers to it. Doesn't matter if the POV really matters because he he thinks of Stark as Tony, and his grandson is Anthony. So, I mean, I had to do some POV shenanigans, but it helped that they were they're not in a relationship. I don't have two Tonys trying to fuck each other, and um, that gets really hard. I mean, that's actually worse than he and he. Yeah, because you've got Tony and Tony and he and he. I mean, who keeps track of that? You won't even no. know whose dick is whose. No. Then you have lovers calling each other by their last name. It's just really difficult for me to write. It's partially because I write a deep third person, but I just can't. I just can't have them banging each other and Stark thinking of him as Dinozo. It just. It just gives me hives. I can't. Yeah, your your POV for three for third third person is so deep. It might as well be first person. So I see that. I mean, some characters I can deal with some characters referring to themselves by their last name if that character is like in the military where they go by their last name a lot. But like, I never have Tony refer to himself as Denoza because I find it to be weird. I don't think he thinks of himself that way. <laughs> no, no. But G- Gibbs is Gibbs. I think he thinks of himself as Gibbs. Gibbs is Gibbs. Um, but like, <laughs> yeah, Gibbs is was Gibbs like when he was like five. Yeah, but like I can do John as Shepard sometimes, sometimes because he's military and he's so used right. to be called Shepard. Except if he's got all of his brothers and his dad, I can't call him Shepard. That doesn't work. <laughs> so whenever I write a story that's got all the Shepherds on board, I can't call anybody Shepard. It doesn't work. They all have to be by their first name. Antecedents. So, yeah, those have to be clear. Un- those fucking unclear antecedents. Um. But yeah, the name shenanigans get to be a real headache if you're not committed to just changing one of their names. It's just, it's no bueno. You have to, you got to just embrace, embrace it. Embrace changing. Honestly, in my opinion, embrace changing Denozo's name. Because I don't think any of us can deal with an Edward Stark. It's weird. It is weird. It's weirder than Dominic Denozo. Yeah. Because it becomes Eddie and then, what? To be fair. If Jack stomped into a room and shouted Shepard, he would expect all four of them to turn and go, what, sir? (laughs) Except the oldest Shepard who stands up and goes, don't yell at me. I'm not one of your men. Are you yelling at me or are you yelling at my kids? Because to be perfectly frank, I'm not on board with either. Jack goes. I'll yell at all you Shepards if I want to. You piss me off on the regular. Cinna, <laughs> I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. You don't need new pens and notebooks for the upcoming challenges. That said, you need new notebooks. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you would ever not need notebooks and, and pens. And if you've got pens, you don't need pens. You I mean you can you can use. 
Jillian, I don't need this kind of negativity in my life. I'm actually prohibited from buying any more pens. <laughs> That's a damn sh You know those letters? You know, you know those file boxes, you know, that you put like letter sized file folders in, the, the, yeah. white, like the white office boxes? Okay, when I moved up here, I gave away three of those full of pens. I still brought some with me. <laughs> I just felt like I didn't came up here penless. And I got rid. Of, I got rid of three boxes full of pens and markers. I have a pen thing. I'm not allowed to buy pens. The only pens I'm allowed to replace are the ones that I use for writing in bed. And um, when I run out of them, I'm allowed to replace them because those are my, you know, pressurized ink pens so that I can write when I'm laying on my back. Mm. And I do run out of those. I'll I use them you. up. I'll use them up because, you know. Can lay on my back and make notes. I'm gonna buy myself. <laughs> but I think we've exhausted this topic because we've been off topic for a while. <laughs> been meandering. I mean, honestly, though, I could probably yeah, plot no, 50, 50 stories for this pairing. But you know, I think I'm mostly on board with the idea of doing it. Um, Especially if we can bring Betty in for the Iron Man 2 illness, um, which would probably, I mean, started to, it would probably even started to root in Iron Man 1. Um, so you could probably, like, start your story around the end of Iron Man 1 and move into the poisoning issue without even addressing some stuff that happens in Iron Man 2. Bring, bring Dr. Betty in before S.H.I.E.L.D. gets their claws into him in any fashion. Um, Bring Dom in. I think it would be a lot of fun. It'd be good. It'd be really good. Get all your characters you really like. And uh, because of the timing, you know, they'd all be together as a as a solid unit, potentially solving the problems of, you know, um, Tony's issues right around the time Thor shows up. So then they could all fuck off to New Mexico, deal with Thor. Because that's the other thing that happened right then. So you'd have Betty and Bruce and Thor and Tony and Dom and Jarvis and the bots. Jarvis. <laughs> um, as a side note for you guys to be thinking about, what would have happened if Odin had realized that Loki baited Thor into doing what he did. So instead of Thor being thrown to Earth, Thor and Loki <laughs> are tossed to Earth. Hmm. He sends them together. Both powerless, but probably not thrown in the same place. It'd actually be really good for them. Um, now, because if, if, we were to, if we were to do that, if I were to do that, I would have a different pairing set up because I'd put one of the Tonys with Loki and one of them with Thor. And because of my, I'm already, I don't feel like, I, I don't know that I can feel like I can do Tony Stark Thor. It kind of breaks my brain. But I could do Tony Denozo Thor and Loki Tony Stark. So, um, I mean, because... I mean, if they're together and they're bitching in the in the and that also actually prevents Loki from finding out he's adopted, right? At that point. Oh no. 
He knew he no? was adopted. He found out he he didn't confront Odin until after. That was a confrontation okay. where Odin okay. collapsed. But he found out he was a frost giant on um when they went to that planet. When they went to do the little raid thing. Yeah. That's when he found, he found out, out he was an Asgardian. Right. Wallhammer. <laughs> Wall? <laughs> Wallhammer. Oh, oh, because they fucked against the wall in Century. <laughs> you brought that shit on yourself. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 a thing, right? If I've got a character in a story that's strong enough to actually hold somebody up and fuck them against a wall, that's gonna happen. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> Because I see wall fucking in stories where there's no no way that either one of those people are strong enough to hold the other one against the wall. But if I've got a character, a shifter, a demigod, a god, I don't care. Somebody in an Iron Man suit. Somebody's getting fucked up against a wall. Well, here's the thing about dropping them both on Earth. If he strips them of their basic powers, that's, you know, Thor thinks his power is in his hammer. So without his hammer, he thinks he's powerless. But in order to do that to Loki, he would have to lock his magic away. And that would, that would leave Loki very vulnerable in a way that he's never been in canon. And I think that Odin would not want to retrieve the version of Thor he would get back. No, I agree. Because I don't think Thor would ever forgive Odin for doing that to Loki. No. And the thing is, I, I think I don't think Thor would actually fundamentally care that he was manipulated into that raid. I don't think No, because he, he wanted to do it anyway. Right. He wanted to do it. And he was he was, you know, he kind of had that warmongering mentality. So I don't think he, you know, I don't think he would fundamentally care. So but I think that Odin looked at Thor and saw Hela in the making. And then when he was alone with Loki, he saw Hela in the making and Loki too. Which means the problem always has been you, Odin, not your children. Right? But, um... And I think that Thor would get his hammer back the moment somebody made themselves a threat to Loki. It That would provide that fundamental shift in him. And the hammer would come back to him. Hello, shield. Shield is asked whole plot device. Pretty easy to use them that way. It'd be an interesting story that they land both, and, and it very could go very differently if they land separately or together. If they land together, the landing itself. If Loki doesn't have his, if if, if his magic is locked away, the landing itself could hurt him. Because he didn't, Odin didn't lock Thor's magic away. He just took his hammer. And he thought his magic was in his hammer when it wasn't. We we know that from Ragnarok. Right. Otherwise, Darcy would have killed him with the truck. Except if he locks Loki's magic down, Loki could be hurt and just falling from the... Just, just landing from the... What's it? The Bifrost. The thing is, the Bifrost, the Bifrost. landing doesn't have to be rough, but clearly it was in that instance. Mm -hmm. Because look at how the hammer landed. Right. So he sent them to Earth, the hammer and Thor to Earth, obviously very violently, when it clearly isn't necessary for it to be violent to travel. And for him to do that to both of them and Loki to be injured. Yeah. I could see Thor would be furious. He'd be furious. I think she would. I think I think that could be the 
I mean, I think it. I, I think Odin needs a wake up call in canon, and that could be it. And maybe you know for him to realize that he, that that Hela wasn't the problem, and that yeah. Thor isn't the problem, and that Frigga isn't the problem, and that Loki isn't the problem. It's Odin. You're the fucking problem. You're the one creating. I mean, and then you have to deal with the other ripple: is that does Odin still fall into the Odin sleep? And does if he does, does Frigga then become regent? And what does she do? Well, the first thing she would do is retrieve her children. Right. It's what I would do. Open up that damn Bryfrost and go get my kids. I mean, if she's regent, she can't leave herself. Realistically, she has to stay on Asgard. So what does she do? She sends a warrior three to get her kids and bring them both back. Come back. And that could be when Thor gets Or she could just ask Hemdall to retrieve them or just to open the Bifrost and they would see it. No, I don't think Frigga is Hela's mother. I'm not even sure. It's actually my head canon. She's probably not even Thor's mother. Um, but anyway, um, what if what if Loki was seriously injured and he's like in the hospital and Thor refuses to leave, and his insistence on staying with Loki is what gets him his hammer back? The Warrior Threes have no have no ability whatsoever to fight him off with the hammer, so they have to go back to Asgard without the princes. Contrary to their orders, and tell their mother that Loki is in a hospital. And they can't, and Thor won't let them take him. And Thor has his hammer back. You avert a lot if Loki doesn't fall from the Bifrost. I'd like to explore one where he falls from the Bi- Bifrost, but he ends up back on Earth. Instead of falling into Thanos' hands. Yeah, that could be interesting. I'm, you know, I, I'm honestly the opinion that Frigga couldn't have children either, and that all three of those kids are actually his kids, and that yeah, Loki is. is we, we talked about that one day about um, Loki being Odin's actual son, and that he was there to pick up his kid. Yeah, because Laufey told and that him he to used that attack as a subterfuge to cover up the fact that he been banging Laufey. Yeah, and he, um, that's why he. Got Loki's because Loki was actually his half son. Laufey didn't want him. Half son. Loki is Odin was actually Loki was actually Odin's son. Thor's half brother. Half son. What is the fuck is a half son? <laughs> so who that? So that 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 begs the question: Who the hell burst Hella? Right. Thanos. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Most I think a dark elf probably yeah that that is probably believable actually a dark elf yeah well but Loki Hela and Loki do resemble but I think they probably resemble Odin in his youth yeah Loki's is a glamour though so I mean, which I think is probably tailored to look like, like Odin yeah and so and and probably look like Hela for those who remember Hela. So actually, I'd have to. I don't, we actually did talk about who Thor's mother was. I don't remember what we even said that in that conversation. But yeah, I do think my favorite idea that came out of that was that that Loki was um, Odin's son, Odin's actual child. That Laufey had born him. Odin was sire. That sired him, and 
I think we also said that probably that he had fathered Hela and Loki, but not actually fathered Thor. Could be. Because Thor is definitely the anomaly of those two. Right? There's a picture of a of a golden retriever sitting with two black cats. <laughs> it's like totally perfect. Right. Two well, haughty black cats and a golden retriever. What if all of Odin's big wars were just spats with his former lovers? No, he gets in a fight with Laufey and they wind up going to war together. And then he has a fight with whatever dark elf that he'd been banging. And they go to war together. And out of those wars, he winds up with... Um, two kids. Two kids. <laughs> you didn't. And it paints a hellacious picture of Odin, depending on the circumstances. Right. Like you didn't tell me you could get me pregnant, you Asgardian dick. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> this what isn't what I signed up for. What was wrong with your fucking sperm? Considering his children, everything. Everything was wrong with it. But let's end this podcast because I'm about to fall asleep over here. Yeah, I got doctor's appointment in seven hours. Oh, good Lord. Go to bed. <laughs> Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this second podcast. And um, uh, we, shall, we shall catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.